Can you name a city that hosted a game at the 2002 World Cup? Should we say Tokyo? Out straight away. Whoa! What? Oh, what are the greatest answers of all time? OTB AM. Live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, half past seven. Thursday morning? Thursday morning. Thursday morning. Nearly lost last the day, day of there. June. There you go. The last day of June. It doesn't feel like it, does it? No. Nope. Feels like the last day of November. Yeah. Put the Christmas stuff up. If we should we should be, yeah. Arnett's probably have a Christmas shop already, do they? Or is it BT who, who does it obscenely early? We've, we've ticked off like two great conversation topics here already. Irish weather and geez, it's earlier it's getting. It is, it's true. It's uh, It's not though, it's because it's 7.31 now. We've wasted a full minute of your morning talking nonsense. Owen, how are you? Very well. I'm personally quite excited for what the, the future of golf holds because people over the last little while were talking about, you know, live golf and how they can add legitimacy to their tour. I think this might be the last we see of Jaron's studio because I presume there is a big fat check coming oh, yeah. your way because they need to add a good golfer to, to the lineup. I had to turn it down. Oh, and unfortunately, the, the representatives were in touch overnight uh, after our stunning performance in the morning. Pro-Am were the team that I was part of won. It's incredible. We had you on the show yesterday morning from... Mount Juliet before the Irish Open Pro-Am and it turns out that actually top of the pile uh, is you all of a sudden so it turns out you're actually good at golf uh, well the, the format's amazing right for for people who don't play golf that often which is me um, it's called a Texas scramble where the pro everybody drives off and then you pick the best drive right which means all of a sudden automatically on every hole you're hitting from the middle of the fairway and on par threes you're like putting it's it's automatic, so you can contribute pretty easily uh, in that instance. And I back to back birdies in the back nine, oh, and we finished in the prizes. Unbelievable! Yeah, I was like, because we were going along, I was like, this, what normally wins this? And we'd be ah, about thirty under. And we were like, we're very close to that. Um, so thirty two under was the winning score, <laughs> and um, yeah. Um, sorry, remind us who you were playing with again. Um, so John Catlin, yeah, who won it in Galgorm. Mm-hmm. And uh, who I'm gonna we're gonna do um, uh, virtual insanity with John Duggan a little bit later on. He's sixty six to one at the moment. I'd say he's worth a fiver each way. Okay, he is playing good, right? And he had a coach with him, and his coach was this. Uh, there was a, I've kind of I've spoiled this now, but there was a, a a guy in a Hawaiian shirt with wispy billowing smoke coming out of him, following us round with a hat and bifocals, staring at us for about five holes and I was like I've got to go over and talk to that guy I, just, I, have to, I mean this is random or following it's a pro-am and like nobody's following us because Larry and Harrington have started at exactly the same time on the opposite nine so everybody literally the whole place is is, uh, is following them and I went over and started talking to him and he was, he's his coach who lives in California and um, he was like um, yeah I, um, this is my he's, he's my main protege I have a couple of other guys on the tour and he just started talking to me and said I've been staring at you I've been watching you and then fixed my swing like that no way like that like to the point where I was able to have two birdies in the back nine it's like unbelievable it was kind of he was like and he was laughing his head off going nah I'm um, extreme dyslexic but I'm a savant when it comes to watching the golf swing I, it's one of those kind of weird people who you meet in your life and we only played with him for nine holes and then they, they switched the pros over so it's like one of those uh, like in um, uh, fight club single serving Friendships, where you're never, I'm never going to see this guy again. Yeah, yeah. Unless they win this weekend, and we're going to get him on the show next week because we're definitely going to get him on the show next week if he wins. 
and uh, it was just incredible. I was like, this, some people are just geniuses. And this guy was like, you're doing this and you're doing this. Fix that. And away you go. Is there anything that he told you yeah, that I'll tell you could exactly transfer to somebody else? I'll tell you exactly what he told He patted me on the belly and said, you can't go through that. you got to go around it. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a second there. That I was thought- a lesson. That was a lesson. He like literally pats me on the belly and goes, can't go through it. Got to go around it. Oh my God. Yeah. How, how did he feel when he told you that? I mean, like, you know, I have a belly. What am I going to do? Yeah. I'm trying to get rid of it. I'm, I'm doing my best. When that birdie drains, you feel pretty good about it. Second triathlon is on the way, you know. Yeah. It's the, it's, I'm doing my best, but uh, he's like, no. So, yeah. <laughs> I thought you, like you um, meant uh, metaphorically, he like tickled you on the belly and said he nice, uh, told you no, nice No, no, literally no. patted right, me on okay. the belly. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, and was that it? Was that like the silver bullet for your golf game yesterday? Uh, pretty much. Okay, wow. I borrowed clubs. That's the other thing. There's, I had slightly better. I had a putter that was properly weighted. Mm. He fixed my putting stroke too and like just do the same thing as I told you for that and I was like, okay, I'll do that and then drain two massive putts in the back nine. Because like, there was no chance of me competing or contributing, really, except for the Texas scramble and this savant coming along going, do 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 It was like, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> so, so, so what did you contribute then after that? Uh, well, those two birdies are like four points of our target. Okay. I had a couple of others, like I came in a couple of other holes as well. But it's easy because like you're literally, you've got to pitch and put. Yeah, and yeah, some yeah, holes. Yeah. And sorry, the other thing I should mention is that um, on the back nine, we had uh, Darius van Driel, um, who's a Dutch golfer, and one of the guys who we were playing with was one of the biggest hitters I've ever seen in my life. So he was out driving the pro, right? Okay. And so we ended up like either having the pros drive straight down the middle or this massive drive where we were literally pitching and putting, uh, which in the Texas scramble format is basically a cheat code so yeah. he was sensational Unreal so what is uh, the big prize then you know uh, wine glasses okay yeah very good pretty happy with that yeah no absolutely I mean everybody not, needs some wine glasses the big prize is being able to brag to Nathan Murphy well I mean that is the outstanding outcome of this whole thing because he just wasn't responding to my uh, whatsapps yesterday for whatever reason it was almost as if like the phone was off I, I can't tell but certainly as the day progressed, I was obviously he was obviously already pissed off by the fact that I was there. Yeah, of like, course. Because you know he's he's the head of golf in Ireland. Basically, he is Mr. Golf, Mr. Ireland Golf. And for what I don't know, I don't know Nathan didn't make the cut. But um, so being able to wind him up, and I know even just having this conversation right now, I can hear him screaming. He's he's, he's putting down the food that he's feeding his children at breakfast as he prepares to bring them to school, <laughs> and he started to just scream at the YouTube, and they're like, "What? What's Daddy doing?" <laughs> Because he's got the earphones in, didn't want to, you know, doesn't want, doesn't want them to know about this humiliation either. So, he's Nathan, good morning to you. I hope you're well, son. He's not even going to drop the kids off. He's going straight to the driving range next year, baby. He's, he's hitting the phones to make sure he gets the invite. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's what a lesson you've, you've just given away golf advice to um, to certain people who would have paid like ten grand for that advice on another day. So, um, I mean, you're welcome. Well, uh, like uh, obviously, it's an incredible privilege to be able to play something like the pro am because you get something random like that happens. Um, and then there's like a bunch of very interesting people strolling around. Like, uh, I, I bumped into Johnny Murta, and I just love Johnny Murta. I think he's like, he should be the king of Irish sport because he's got this incredible backstory. He is like uh, one of the greatest people in his sport ever. Mm. And then he's turned into like a great trainer as well. You know that thing that I always say about the, you, you want to win the genetic lottery twice to be a great footballer and then also be a great football coach? It shouldn't happen because they're actually completely different skills. Johnny Murta seems to have done that and he's also like very good company even in like short servings so um, 
so that was the I, that was part of the morning crew. Tomas O'Shea was there, as I said, and um, but the afternoon crew seems like it was um, star studded. Yeah, Tomas O'Shea's uh, swing looked good. I didn't, I didn't see it. Yeah, I it was just it. on on social media. Did they use your uh, tee shot on any occasion yesterday? Your team? Um, maybe maybe once. Right. So there you go. I think. Um, no, they didn't. No. They could have, but they didn't. Okay. There was one. There was, uh, yeah. They could have, but they didn't. Yeah. The, the, I, if I followed that up, that would lead to the most boring golf chat oh, of all look, time. I, actually, thought, yeah. I thought we've kind of ex- uh, we've outstayed our welcome. We can do it if the people at home want. We can like follow no, that question up. Okay. No, we, we've we've outstayed our welcome in terms of golf chats. Yeah, I mean that should the, be a lesson for life. Are, cl- are collapsing here. You know, yeah. that's why we we corralled it over to the golf wankers pod. Is that what it's called? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You got to pay for this privilege usually. <laughs> I love I love Golf Weekly. You should all sign up for it right now. It, um, anyway, what else on? Uh, well, uh, Jack McGarvey's been in touch to say, hey, lads, just wanted to say myself and two of the lads are loving listening to the show every day while working in Vancouver. It would be great to get a shout out. And there you go. Jack, I hope those golf tips have uh, served you well this morning. And that's, and that's the end of them. So don't worry, that'll never happen again. Yeah, no, it won't. Um, we wanted to chat a little bit about some of the managerial merry-go-round mm. decisions over mm. the the last couple of days. Like, obviously, yeah, you were making the, the strong case for Andy Moran on the show a couple of days ago. The Leitrim County Board were listening? I didn't, I didn't necessarily disagree with it, uh, especially with a vacancy, and sometimes you need to be in the right place at the right time to get these jobs. But Andy Moran is signing on for another little while with the Leitrim footballers, obviously feels that there's a lot of potential with this group and, and more to build on I guess it's hard when you lose in controversial circumstances like they did in the Talton Cup this year to walk away from that because they should have been in the next round they they, they, they really possibly should have got a step further than they did this season and some uh, encouraging moments in the league as well so I think there's a, I don't think the conversation was ever around whether or not Leitrim is an attractive proposition for him because you listen to how he talks about it and, and how excited he is when, when he speaks about his role as manager there. The question was just, does, does the vacancy at Mayo change things? And I think given how parochial uh, GEA is, when your own home county comes up, it is going to, I'm sure, turn your head a little bit. But as you say, is this a response to the Mayo vacancy, getting this done this week? Straight away. Yeah. Like, fair play to the people uh, who are behind making the decision and making sure that they get it signed up and announced publicly. Cause, so Leitrim... County Board tweeted last night that um, they've extended his two-year term by a year, essentially. Isn't that, isn't that it? I think so, yeah. So, um, so what was a two-year term now becomes a three-year term and they said that Andy has agreed it in, in principle pending the full ratification from the County Board meeting which everybody assumes would be a rubber stamp at this stage. So, like, I do think that there's a certain element of Andy Moran being one of those kind of perfect candidates who can get the best out of his former teammates and use them as subs because he has a relationship with them if that's what has to happen versus somebody walking in and going, my way or the highway, I'm a new voice. You know what you've done Take your medals and throw them into the bin. We're going to do it better. You know, like there's a strong possibility that that happens or somebody who comes in who hasn't got the full intercounty experience and knows exactly what it means to run a high performance uh, setup the way that James Horan has done, which seems to have been one of the issues around Holmes and Canelli. They came in and changed things around and there seems to have been a dis. um, a separation between what the players believed and what that management team believed. We never quite got to the bottom of, of that hole. No, why we did that, not. Why that went tits up, right? No, we did not, yeah. And um, I'm sure that'll start happening over the winter, right? I, I think that enough of a remove and enough of those players have stopped, but like um, they were obviously a, a, That a, seems like the most, po- if you want to pick the most poisonous moment in Mayo over the last couple of years, that to me seems like the one, certainly just through trying to get people to tell their stories. 
that is the hardest story to tell the Holmes and Kennelly yeah well uh, maybe, maybe they'll come out and do it they did it or come out and do it they did one interview in the Irish Independent uh, that, that year and then it was but that, that now with, yeah, the, now, with the hindsight yeah. of uh, benefit of hindsight I, th- I still think there's too many people involved in the county board and too many close relationships between people involved in the county board so maybe we'll never get to the bottom of that until everybody who is involved is gone um, but it would be good for Mayo to understand what happened there mm. and to prevent that from happening again because if they get this decision wrong it's a dark age like like the, it's an interesting question like where, where is the, the baseline for Mayo like if, if they regress uh, to their baseline what does that look like is, is it actually 2010 yeah that, that's the, the possibility here that the baseline isn't necessarily you know getting to a quarter final every year and then getting to a final every second or third year like no, that, it's that's, not. that's their peak that has been their peak so of course that can turn into getting over the line and, and getting an All-Ireland of course it can but there is also the very real risk that it just could become uh, a bit of a regression now Cork do have the hurlers to contend with and maybe that complicates matters but Mayo it seems They also have a massive like double the population They do like Mayo also have this that they can still ride this wave for a little bit longer this crazy decade that they've had can become a positive where it's uh, an utterly football obsessed county I, I, thought, I thought Colin Boyle was brilliant on the show yesterday when he was talking about the minor team know nothing except success they yeah. know nothing except being in All-Ireland Finals and so that's a complete change of culture and you've got to put that down to what Horan brought that first time and injected into it and that means that the expectation on whoever comes in to manage the team is going to be to reach All-Ireland Finals and to win All-Ireland that's what the expectation is going to be and so that's why it's, it's, like, it's definitely the most interesting job at the moment that's out there however there's another very interesting job out there or is there is the Monaghan job still interesting yes of course it is like is it yes. or, or have they been overachieving or have they been underachieving did Banty do a bad job I don't know I think last year is the real uh, sore point for Monaghan that that defeats a Tyrone in, in, a, in an Ulster final and it's probably on a par with the defeat to Tyrone again in um, 2018 and uh, like those two Tyrone defeats almost like defined the last few years of Monaghan I, granted one was Malachy work one was, was Banty so it does feel that very small margins could have gone their way and they could have made an All-Ireland final and they could have been up against Kerry last year in that semi-final and potentially beaten them and uh, the, the whole era of Monaghan would, would have looked very very different um, so it's hard to be overly critical in terms of what they've done like structurally and, and how they've approached football over over the last few years given they've probably hit hit their level but they've also lost when they've had massive opportunities two massive opportunities to do something uh, really historic so like it, it does feel that they're close to operating at their peak but I think there's one more squeeze in, in this group of players like group of player player Conor McManus will you step away is the, the only question that, that uh, you probably need to answer when it comes to whether or not Monaghan can, can continue to hit that peak we had him on uh, in the off season when he was just coming back from his injury and he brought it up unprompted the whole retirement issue and the question that he keeps getting asked about it I hadn't even thought to ask him because he's just playing so well it's like ah no what no just keep going it's not like it's not like he's kind of on the fringes of the team it's not like he's not still performing at a very high level now, he's obviously not at his absolute peak where he was the best footballer in the country for about four seasons in a row. Maybe should have got footballer of the year, you know? Don't get to a final, you don't get footballer of the year. Um, Them's Bar- the rules. Bernard Brogan did. Oh, very good point. 2010, yeah. You know, oh, that's the Dublin media bias for you. Um, so I don't know. I Like, I again, a, a big, interesting job. Who takes that, you know? Uh, could they do an old switcheroo, Banty back to Meath, Andy McEntee up to Monaghan? 
don't think Bandy's getting the Meath job again. No, that's not going to happen. And I would be surprised if they went for McEntee as well up in Monaghan. It's hard, it's hard to know. Like who, like who are the possible candidates when we're when we're going through this? Like quite quite often they would uh, appoint from within. Um, so like I, I think that there's actually been some talk that when it comes to ex Monaghan managers that Malik work could be on the Mayo shortlist or that, that's just well, one of those names Colin that Boyle just threw out the names yeah. there yesterday I was like wow that would be an interesting candidate list like yeah. so I did wonder if maybe Rochford could put together a dream team of people a la Kildare a la the Kerry job that didn't end up going to the legends mm. is, there, is there a dream team that Rochford can put together that quells everybody that somebody's job is to keep that crowd happy and somebody else's job is to keep that crowd happy and somebody else's job is to keep that for crowd which happy. county here for Mayo for Mayo, for Mayo. Just yeah. clarify, like I mean it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that he, he hops into Monaghan either like uh, especially considering he's already worked with Donegal and has worked outside the county like Monaghan have been one of those that haven't been afraid to appoint from outside the county like Donny Buckley obviously has been in there recently with a with a role we're not we're never quite sure what uh, what Donny Buckley's role is so that's um, maybe that's something that they want to, to, to keep and want to pursue a little bit further but um, yeah it's, it, I wouldn't be overly surprised if Monaghan did, did look for an external manager once again to, to try and take him to the next level because I mean, it could it be like a one I, 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 I hate to be unbelievably cliche here but you pick up the phone to Jim McGuinness don't you I know that he said that he wants to pursue soccer for a little bit longer and, and he's, he's not giving up on that just yet but if you've got a vacant managerial role and you've got a group of players who you feel can get to a, a last four do you know what you do and, you, you just meet him for coffee and you ask him for his advice Yeah, and you're like look at, it, look at our playing stock You know who could possibly turn this incredible crew of players who are relentlessly dedicated and driven and hungry who could turn that group into... Is there anybody you know who might fit the bill for that? Anybody whose interest might be piqued by that? Anything you've seen in football over the last while is in your role as an analyst now, kind of with that little bit of separation. Is there anybody who you think might fit the bill for that? Anybody who might need to, like, you know, just remind everybody that it was him as opposed to Rory Gallagher who won the All-Ireland for Donegal. Because if Rory wins this, does Rory suddenly get much more credit for, like, his involvement with Donegal as well? Yeah, a hundred percent. Roy Gallagher is, and he becomes the defining character of the last yeah. of, of that strain of Ulster football. He, he definitely outside the dubs. Like. He, he's already been getting it. He's already been getting it at this little bit. Credit, little, little bit. No, there's, there's been very people very reluctant to give Roy Gallagher too much credit, and now they have to. Yeah, there's been a, a real slow, and, and certain uh, not here, like absolutely not here. Like we've had Rory on all the time over the years as um, Fermanagh boss and Derry boss, and have constantly been. Um, really interested in his honesty about what he's trying to do and how he's getting there and his uh, his willingness to speak to us while he's while he's been an intercounty football manager yeah which is very rare these days so um but that you know that in itself isn't enough to win you over it's like what he says wins you over so we've definitely been happy to give him credit for his involvement the whole way back but loads of people are like oh look at that it's the same football you always see it's like well yeah he played really defensive football with Fermanagh because uh Fermanagh were like whipping boys for generations and then he turned them into a team that was able to compete in the Ulster in, in the Ulster Championship, like losing games by a couple of points as opposed to by fifteen. That's an incredible achievement. It was the point you were making about um, how do you assess how good a job Andy Moran is doing? Well, it's clear he's doing a good job because there's like a little bit of confidence about the team. They're expressing themselves. They're achieving more than they have in the past, and they're building on things <coughs> consistently. Like, you know, if you were doing the job to try and assess that, you would go and put out some markers and, and track it over a period of time and that's what they should be doing now for the next time the vacancy happens in Mayo just to make sure he's the right guy but I'm, I'm fairly sure he will be uh, when it comes to um, 
when it comes to uh, the assessment of, of Gallagher, like I think people are starting to think, oh, we 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 missed it. we missed this one. So there might be some other people out there like that. Yeah, like I mean, the the thing for me is that when you look at the, the Gallagher story, you can look at some of the other backroom names that are working around the country. Like even if you look at the, the current semi finalists, like I know Dublin are very much a, an internal camp, as in like most of their backroom team are, are dubs. Same with Kerry. Galway is an interesting one where Joyce Tally? is like, Paddy, sorry, Paddy Talley. What am I talking about? Um, so he, he's been kind of brought in, not not on the official selectors list, obviously, as a you know a, a very important coach in the in the background and. A transformative moment in Kerry football, bringing a northern football coach down, like possibly, you know. We'll, I mean, well, we'll we've see. already seen the. As you keep telling us, they they have not conceded a goal since since he arrived. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, they've not even conceded a chance, and uh, but like they're <laughs> stopping points now at this point, exactly. keeping clean sheets. Uh, will do. Galway is the interesting one, obviously, because um, like how much of a role has Keane O'Neill had in their success this year with with poor choice. Um, again, it's one of these things that's very hard to define because uh, you don't know unless you ask the players. But I would assume that he's had a pretty positive uh, role there to play. And um, like, I mean, Roy Gallagher managed to make that step from backroom team member to, to manager pretty seamlessly. I know Keane O'Neill has been manager and has done like there. It didn't go as well as he would have hoped, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind taking a step into the manager's seat at, at some point again soon. Yeah. So Roger's a candidate for both those gigs? I think so. I think so. And like, I think if Mayo have some clarity on who they want, they'd want to be acting pretty fast. I think that the Rory Gallagher thing and even to a lesser extent what Galway have done this year like it's, it's going to be a little bit of a kick up the hole for a lot of counties. Like it is achievable. Like great things are genuinely achievable if you have the right systems in place and a good coaching ticket. You, you can do pretty extraordinary things. Maybe if you're not from Leinster, like then all your dreams just uh, are dead and it will always be dead. Oh, but if you're not from Leinster, there's good news. Uh, there, there is positivity on the horizon. Oh, uh, except if you're from Munster, your dreams are also dead yeah. and will uh, never live. Yeah. Okay. So if you're from one of those two provinces... You, you fit the role of the imperialist really well, Owen. It just comes to you naturally. So like everything just ends up cresting to this point of, yeah, well, actually, I'm Kerry, so I don't really care about you all. And then you just breathe fire on everybody <laughs> like a dragon. Kerry dragon. Right, 7.52, here's what's coming up. Alan Quinlan standing by. Jenny Murphy's going to give us more rugby at uh, 10 past 8. Sports pages at 8.30. Virtual Insanity with John Duggan. Porik Marr is going to join us at 8.50. Vinnie Pert is going to give us uh, an Irish uh, transfer special for Deal or No Deal. And at 9.30, more preview of the hurling this weekend. Because like, uh, the hurling semi-finals are going to be, they're going to be lit. It's actually turning out to be one of the best sporting weekends of the year. Until about 10 past 10 on Saturday morning when Ireland get absolutely annihilated by the All Blacks. Is that what's going to happen? Let's go now to join Alan Quinlan. Alan, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good, thanks, lads. Yeah, I'm only up uh, probably 26 or 7 hours at this stage now, but uh, I'm not too bad. I'm wearing Paul O'Connell's jacket, his shoes and his jumper as well because my bags are somewhere over the Pacific, I think, at this stage. And are you the same size still these days? Well, I'm fitting clothes. The jacket is kind of nice and neat on me anyway. So, um, and the shoe, the shoes are about two or three sizes too big anyway. But um, they did the job today. I had to do some interviews and some press stuff today. So, uh, went to the tra- Irish training and uh, had a chat with Johnny Sexton. And I was at the New Zealand presser this morning as well. So, um, they're full of compliments, Ger, for Ireland, which uh, makes me worried. They're- yeah. It's unbelievable. Every one of them are saying Ireland are great and they're the best team in the world. And uh, Aaron Smith, I think, said at one stage, it's the ultimate uh, challenge and it doesn't get any bigger than Ireland coming to, to New Zealand 
So big trouble ahead. Yeah, sounds like it. Let's hear what Andy Farrell had to say. You, you said you were at the New Zealand press conference. I'll ask you about that in a minute. But here's Andy Farrell talking about the team selection. We'll, we'll, if anybody doesn't know the team, we'll get to it immediately after this. Here's what Andy Farrell had said this morning. We've had a, a, a great um, uh, a meeting this morning of learnings with uh, the, the test side and the, and the side from last night and um, feeding back to one another and um, the, their understanding of what happened out there and good learnings from the test team of what to expect and how they're going to um, implement those changes, etc., uh, through the group. So that's what it's all about, this tour, you know. Um, giving guys experience you don't know until you know. Um, and uh, it's great to have uh, the, the other boys watching them have got the backs and really keen on making sure that they uh, they help them along their journey as well. And in terms of the, the, um, the all black team, your, your impressions of, uh, of, of that side and what you're expecting from them? Pretty good. Uh, pretty good side. I know they've won or two injuries and obviously so have we. Um, but at the same time, I think they could pick a uh, four teams in, in, in New Zealand and uh, they will be unbelievably hard to uh, compete against so uh, we're under no illusions uh, what we're up against at the weekend and like I've said to you before uh, any type of performance that we've had before where we've managed to um, uh, get over the line um, that won't do this weekend I'm sure about that so the Ireland team has been named um, and it's fairly much what we expected I think maybe a little bit of um, I, I got through it Andrew Porter Dan Sheehan Tyke Furlong front row Tyke Byrne is in in the second row as we expected after Henderson uh, being sent home with the injury or certainly out of the squad with the injury Tyke Byrne and, and James Ryan in the second row Peter O'Mahony at 6 Josh van der Fleer at 7 Caelan Doris at 8 it's Gibson Park and Sexton uh, at halfback and then it's Henshaw and Ringrose in the centre the wings are James Lowe and Keith Earls and Hugo Keenan is a fullback. Dave Hefferton, Finley Bealham. Keen Healy's named on the bench. We'll see if that actually comes through. If, if he's fit enough to take his place, that'd be great. Kieran Treadwell, um, incredible kind of uh, comeback for Treadwell over the last 12, 14 months to be uh, named on the bench for the first test in New Zealand. Jack Conan, Connor Murray, Joey Carberry and Bundy Aki, after captain on the side yesterday, is on the bench as well. So... Um, What's your take on the team there, Alan? Yeah, there's no real surprises, is there? I think um, it's a shame that Henderson is out, I think, because um, I think his, his physical presence would have would have helped, I think. Um, whether he would have started or whether Andy Farrell would have picked Tyburn, um to start it. But I just think Henderson not being there just makes takes away a little bit of that physicality that we need. Um Obviously, Peter O'Mahony is, um, gets a nod at six and, and Jack Conan is kind of the one to lose out again. You know, we know what Peter O'Mahony brings, his strengths, and I think the decision is obviously made around, um, you know, Nick, that line-out presence that he has and and probably that aggression that, that they're hoping he'll bring. Um, Jack Conan won't want to, you know, be labelled as now, now a player off the bench and an impactor, but to come off the bench as well so there's, there's very little between any any of the uh, the three there in the back row and um, but you know Keith Earl's coming in on the wing um, I think Matt Hansen would have started there if he was if he wasn't sick with COVID so there's no real surprises I think um, you mentioned Keane Healy there and the injury he got in that that Maori game which looked horrendous um, it looked like he was, not alone was, was the, his match over but 
Um, this tour was possibly over for him, but um, I believe he came back in a, one of those moon boots uh, after the game and walked into the hotel fine, took it off, walked around and uh, was was uh, feeling a lot better this morning. I saw him walking down, the, down to the gym here earlier in the day and um, he seems to have made a miraculous recovery, which... Uh, is shouldn't be a surprise to anyone because uh he's he's fairly resilient and and uh freakish in 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 his physique and so he's obviously made a recovery and i think that would be a boost to him uh but other than that there's no real surprises i think obviously um you know carberry murray bondiaki off the bench they'll be needed um the bench will certainly be needed this week and uh um it's going to be a daunting task for him because when you look at the new zealand team it's it's kind of formidable um, and a lot of those players are in good form this year in Super Rugby so from an Irish point of view I think Andy Farrell has said it there himself um, they've got to find something really special to try and get a win here um, because I, I really believe that there's going to be a very aggressive determined uh, reaction from, from New Zealand given what happened last November when they when Ireland beat them and then France beat them and I think they were under all sorts of criticism and pressure back here in New Zealand you can feel it you know today talking to other journalists talking about the coaching set up for the All Blacks and the pressure this this series is is bringing on them if they don't get positive results so um, Ireland are going to really have to deal with that and that's going to be a, a, a real kind of test for them physically and mentally on Saturday um, has, has the result from the Mary game just softened all of the Ireland rugby fans cough a little bit to the point where we were like oh you know we might win one of these tests now it's like uh, hang on a second um, they're like their scratch team versus our second team and they kind of annihilated us uh, and the skill that they showed is, is the, the main takeaway so uh, everybody has well, that to skill be fair, to be fair yeah no I agree uh, that it has it, it, it just puts things in perspective that um they have a lot of X-Factor players, Jared, that can step, that can just accelerate, that can do special things. And if you give them time and space, they show that uh, in the Maori game. Um, if you're not organised defensively and, and as a collective unit, I think Ireland have got to be, um, whether it's the team to play the Maoris or the team that's going to play the test match, they've got to collectively be very tight and, and organised, particularly in defence. Because, you know, if you run up in guys and... Uh, one, one guy, one Irish player uh, on a kick chase, um, they can just step you no matter who you are. You've got to have kind of guys either side of you and defend really well. And I think there was mistakes in that Maori game that some of those players will have to learn and they had to learn the hard way um, that you've got to stay connected in defence and they'll punish you. And to be fair, there's a lot of those Maori players are, are pushing for all-black selection. There's some of them um, you know, TJ Paranara and Brad Weber, they've got a lot of caps for, for the All Blacks. Um, there's a number of young players um, that, you know, could end up playing in this series because they're that close to to the All Blacks team. And they've probably 18 weeks of Super Rugby as well. So um, they were, uh, they got it right. They got their cohesion right last night and they exposed some some frailties in, in, in the Irish players. And, and it was a harsh lesson for them. I think Andy Farrell had said that. Um, that it was a harsh lesson. So um, to answer the original question, it does put things in perspective, no matter what team you put out against the Maoris or against New Zealand, if you're not on the money and you're not um, 
physically, mentally, and collectively right for it, um, you could be really severely punished. And I think it is a little bit of a, a wake-up call to Saturday. What can happen um, if 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 you're not ready for it? And I think um, it's easy saying be mentally ready, but you've got to be physically ready because I think I think if you remember the game after Chicago in 2016 when uh, New Zealand came to Dublin and you know it was the it was a Sam Kane shoulder on um, Robbie Henshaw. It was the Fekitoa swinging arm on Zebo. Um, two red cards, by the way. Kind of a, you know, today, well, two red cards would help. Definite, definite red cards. But you, you remember the brutal, kind of aggressive, nasty kind of response. I think there could be an element of that on Saturday. So Ireland have got to go toe-to-toe and not, not let New Zealand intimidate them. Be really, really physical and in their faces. And if there's a fight to happen, you know, stand toe to toe um, and and be right in their faces. And um, but you know, look, it's it's a daunting task, isn't it? They haven't lost in Eden Park since 1994, so their record there is is unbelievable. So you know, Ireland are going to have to do something special. But there's a number of Irish players who've experienced beating the All Blacks, and and you know, you've got to try and take something from that. Um, not get complacent and think that oh God. It can happen again, but, um, you know, take the positive memories from that as well. But I think they'll be very alert. And I just, I, I, I felt that at Irish training today, that they're very, very much aware of the reaction they're going to get. And it'll be really interesting to see how they cope and what they bring to the game themselves, Ireland. It's one of the big questions from yesterday, actually, regarding Ireland's depth once again, because you talk about those Maori players who are pushing for all black selection well, all of those Ireland players are pushing for Ireland selection. And if you, granted, get carried away and just look at yesterday in isolation, those players who are pushing for the All Blacks are much better than those players pushing for Ireland. That really Ireland, and yeah. in the, over the course of the next 18 months, one of the biggest factors is going to be how lucky Ireland gets with injuries because they can only go so deep into the depth chart. Yeah, correct. And that is the reality. Um, Jeremy Lockman doesn't start all the time for Munster. He started last night. Um, Dave Heffernan, um, you know, hasn't been playing with Ireland regularly. Uh, Tom O'Toole, you know, Gavin Coombs, Nick Timoney, these guys, uh, Treadwell, they need more game time. They need to, to, you know, to to be out on the field at international level and and see the difference, experience it, learn from it. Um, You've less time and space in international rugby than you do with your provinces. Um, The pace, the speed of the game, you get punished for mistakes more. You know, Kieran Frawley at 10. Um, he needs, if 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 he's going to be considered a, a, an option at 10 going forward, he needs more time there. Um, so, James Hume, he's had a great season for Ulster, but, you know, it was it was a difficult night as well for him last night. He had moments in the game and, and picked up a nasty injury himself. So, um, I think a lot of those players, they've probably 14 months now before a World Cup and you know Andy Farrell, that's a challenge. He's he's got to try and find a blend now of 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 getting more depth in some of those positions. But it's the same as all the international other international coaches. I think particularly, you know, Scotland, Wales, um, England, they're all trying to get depth in their squads. Um, some are you know in better positions. Look at South Africa, the depth they have, and and they seem to be in a really good place. Um, so that's the key for Andy Farrell is to try and improve that depth and expose those players and some guys will fall away and 
you know, some younger players may, may come through. Um, I think someone like Ryan Baird as well. Well, it, it's it's unfortunate that Ryan Baird hasn't actually grabbed a place in this team just yet because it looks like, you know, hopefully he's going to reach... Yeah, he's a quality player and Joe McCarthy is as well and I think they will go on to have um, long international careers and... Um, uh, but you know as many as though you, you want as many players on the fringes to try and start putting pressure on the on the starters and yeah. how long have we spoke Jerry, about the 10 slots you know 9 and 10 well, Gibson was... Park has come in the last kind of two years and, and been brilliant there but we still have a problem at 10 if Sexton gets injured well, I was just getting to that right so the lads were talking yesterday with Keith Wood after the almost talking with Keith Wood after the show yesterday and, and um, after the game rather and they just listed off the injuries that have happened on this tour in a week and if you think about that and the possibility of the same number of injuries happening in a World Cup cycle which is very likely you know uh, you know, we, we are playing two very serious tests in the pool stages of the World Cup like you need 45 players really who are at international quality you can't bank on the, the 30 odd who are named in the squad whatever the number is to be the players who bring you through barring some kind of weird freak which never happens certainly has never been something that has happened to, to us so it, the, the team who plays in the third test may well end up being the same team that starts a World Cup quarterfinal if we make it there and it could be completely injury depleted. So we just need to get used to that really and, and as you say, build that depth through this. With that in mind, right, and having seen the decimation already after one game and two training sessions or however number of training sessions it is, what does success look like now from this series so, so, just on the injuries, you go back to 2015, you think of Argentina in that quarterfinal, Paul O'Connell, Sean O'Brien, Tommy Bow. O'Brien was Johnny suspended. Sexton. O'Brien was suspended. Yeah, well, he was gone. He was yeah. gone. And, yeah, okay. But that was that was his own doing, you know, like he, he, he had control okay. over that. Like, so, yeah. Yeah, I know. But we're talking about getting depth. We've yeah. five of our starters um, gone out of the team and it, and it, and it told in that Argentina game. So, you know, there's no quick fix solution here. Andy Farrell has to look at um, development of these players, getting more game time with their provinces, um, getting more senior roles with the provinces and looking at the November internationals, I think, at home, trying to play them and expose them uh, more as well. But um, there is every chance that there's going to be changes. You hope, you know, you would hope that... Um, look, I think... What constitutes success here, really, for me, is not getting a 60-point drubbing that happened in 2012. I'm not suggesting it will happen, um, but things can fall asunder pretty quickly down here if, if you're not on the money and if, you're, if you are struggling, a couple of key players are missing. And I think that would be the worst thing that happened, that we would get a comprehensive beating. It could happen still, um, but I think if even if you don't, obviously winning a test would, would constitute brilliant, uh, brilliant return. Um, but if you're not going to win any of the test games that you're there, thereabouts, you're knocking on the door, you're asking questions and you're not being completely dominated because for any side to come here, it's always a challenge. Um, so I think to avoid that situation of getting a comprehensive um, um, beating um, and being really competitive and... I think if Ireland are in the mix in, in any of the three tests, I think they're capable of winning it and they're good enough. And I think they've got to find that little bit of ignition again that they showed us this year. They were brilliant in November, not just in the New Zealand game, but Japan and Argentina. Their execution was superb. 
We saw some really good moments in the Six Nations as well. Um, so I think they can draw on that confidence and hopefully they can and they can find a performance here for Saturday. Okay. Because I think they need to start well for themselves mentally. Give us your prediction. Oh, my prediction. Um, I think New Zealand will win the game. Um, so I think it's going to be very difficult for Ireland. But there's a little part of me thinks that, that you know, Ireland will get a performance here on Saturday and uh, and really step up. But when you look at the New Zealand team and you look at the experience and even some of the new players that are coming in, um, some of them are very, very hard to stop. So I think New Zealand um, should win this game. Yeah. When uh, when are we uh, expecting you to find a bag, Winnie? Or is that just uh, <laughs> is this just like absolutely Forever. three weeks? Three, air? yeah. Uh, God only knows. There's some of the other um, uh, some pe- some of the other journalists I was chatting to. Their bags are three four days. Um, uh, they're scrambling looking for clothes. So I'm going to have to raid Paul's uh, wardrobe again in the morning, maybe because. Um, he has free laundry here anyway, so he can keep getting the stuff cleaned. I can just keep sneaking into his room, rubbing his clothes. Uh, no, hopefully I'll have a bag in the morning. I need it badly. Um, or else I'll have to go out and, um, you know, replace stuff and buy a big coat for the match on Saturday and stuff like that. There's a few things I could really do with. And there's obviously things you can go out and pick up, socks and underwear and stuff like that. That's easy enough. But uh, anyway, hopefully it comes tomorrow. Is the weather awful? No, it's not bad at all. Um, no, it was good. It was good today. It was um, it was nice and pleasant and 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 sunny. Probably not the warmest, but uh, very pleasant anyway. So right. um, I think it's going to be a few showers at the weekend. So we'll see. But uh, all good so far. All right, Quinny, we'll catch up with you on Monday. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, lads. It's uh, Alan Quinlan live from New Zealand uh, in Paul O'Connell's clothes. It's uh, 11 minutes past eight. We're both in the midst of a, oh my God, we're going to get spanked. Yeah. Like the Maori game shouldn't matter in that, but it feels like it does. <laughs> like, um, like I completely buy the argument that, you know, it's going to be a totally different team. Uh, but yeah, the, the yesterday was just kind of like a bit of a wake-up call as to how tough the tour. It's just been a long time since Ireland have toured New Zealand. Chiefs girl says, the Maori loss won't matter much come Saturday. Ireland need the extra midweek games to build depth if they get injuries to key players in the Rugby World Cup, they'll be in trouble if others have no game time. It's 100% but, true and there's so few games and we know that. But Well, that question you put to Quinny there about Ireland needing 40, 45 players, like Andy Farrell literally said that at the outside set of the tour. We need 40 players who are ready to play knockout World Cup rugby. That is why they are deliberately going through these experiences. Yeah. So I don't think... And it has been as harsh as like, you war game it out and you're like, if this really bad scenario happens and then immediately it's like, oh, five of our players are gone. Without, without it's even like really we haven't played a second of a test match and five of our players are like really unavailable for selection uh, right OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today we're back after the break with Jenny Murphy from more chat ahead of Ireland's first test this Saturday first here's Liam Toland on last night's Wednesday Night Rugby saying that he feels Kieran Frawley has now firmly grabbed the backup number 10 jersey for Ireland take a look Kieran Frawley at 10 Liam I thought he was very good um, like he definitely is very comfortable on the gain line uh, certainly in the opening 10 minutes or so uh, when he had a reasonable platform to play with he was very keen to get on the gain line he had a variety in his game he was comfortable in the physical environment um, and I thought he looked good as as the platform in front of him kind of dissolved a little bit I don't think Ireland were playing much rugby from for for lots of that game. So, but mm-hmm. the, when Ireland were had some sort of a parity of possession, I thought he did really really well. I thought he, I, I think he's a really good player. 
we've got to be conscious that he's not played a whole lot as, as a 10. Uh, he's had very little experience at the highest levels as a 10. So I thought he did really, really well. And you and I have discussed um, the challenges of the second choice out half over the running weeks and where Carberry fits in. Like Carberry for me is a phenomenal player, but he's not demanding He's not dictating. He's just not playing as well as you'd hope he would play. You you know he can play. So I think there's an opportunity for Kieran Prawley, even ahead of the other two so-called second string uh, um, uh, out halves. I think th- I think it's a good opportunity for him. Mm. Fiona, and and, and get, sorry, and getting back to the idea of what Farrell was asking, testing players for future tests or testing players at this elite level. I think someone like Kieran Prawley fits into the first one he's being prepared potentially to be a test player. Mm. Yeah, but I suppose, Liam, with that, if that is the case going into a World Cup, you'd wonder how much rugby he will get then back at Leinster at 10. Do you know what I mean? I suppose with, with the quality they have in there. But what he definitely, I thought, Joe, he stepped up to the, the play today at times. I thought he started well. Um, he, he played deep. He played on the game line, exactly like uh, Liam said. But a, a couple of times as the game went on, I was a bit disappointed when Ireland were attacking inside in 22. And I suppose he, he's every opportunity and every right to, to try. He done a couple of kick throughs or crossfield yeah. kicks when I thought Ireland might have been better off to hold on to that ball because they hadn't really got through enough phases. I understand if they had penalty advantage or there was different things, you know, there. But I, I, I just thought he might have given that ball away too soon um, at times. But, but I'm happy these are the games you tried in and, and I thought he looks confident at times and I thought he, he worked really well with Casey as well OTB AM Right we're sticking with rugby Jenny Murphy good morning to you how are you? Morning I'm not too bad thanks um, What's your level of confidence about what kind of performance we're going to get from Ireland on Saturday morning? Listen like it's it's a brand new team facing an even stronger opposition it is it's it's going to be tough like playing in New Zealand is always difficult but I would imagine the lads that were watching the game and um, the Mary All Blacks game will still get a lot from it like it's we all know that the All Blacks are going to play at pace it's going to be speedy rough ball and you have to be so sharp when you're kicking it to them because when we saw they can they can transition to attack so smoothly and um, I think it's going to be tough but then you've got all that experience in there really solid front row as long as that negative energy from that loss hasn't kind of seeped in, I think we could do a good job. Just like stick to the task at hand and, and see where we go. Yeah, it, it's kind of, uh, it feels, I don't know. It's it's a really weird scenario where this is a team who we beat the last time we played them. And yet we're not feeling particularly confident about beating them this time because it, so much has changed in that relatively short period of time. And they're coming off the back of their club season looking forward to bursting into their international season with all of the energy that they always have at this stage of the year. And we all just feel a little bit wrecked, it seems. And, you know, it's kind of the, the, the walking wounded at the moment. So, I don't know, maybe we're overreacting to that and, and maybe we should expect Ireland to at least put in a performance this weekend. Like, yeah, they, I think they are going to put in a performance. And it's really easy to lean on, like it's an 11 month season, it is long and there's probably some wrecked bodies out there. And the fact that we're picking up some injuries, even at the tail end of what is an exceptionally long season is tough. But in saying that, there's a, there's a trade-off of like, these players now have played a lot together, they've gelled together and the All Blacks are fresh in after a club season. So it takes a little bit of time 
you would think for something to kind of click. Um, there's pros and cons. The guys are going to be wrecked, but they know that at the end of the next four games, they can head to Bali, soak up some sun, pina colada, um, so but finish on a high. And like playing New Zealand in New Zealand is a challenge that everyone wants to, they, they do want to step up for, and it's like, it's where you want to perform and it's where they want to get the win. Yeah, I think Nice kind of was already doing that. <laughs> he, it was unbelievable, just coming off the plane and then absolutely tearing into it. Brilliant. And I thought he really put his hand up, just like serious, serious effort from the Munster run. Uh, in terms of the team selection itself, was there anything that was surprising? Peter Manny gets the start. Keith Earl gets the start. Like, you know, you can quibble about this. I see Tony Ward in the paper saying that Jordan Larmer should have been picked for his game-breaking ability, but they haven't They haven't gone back to Larmer in a long time. The fact that he's in the squad, maybe is an opportunity, might get an opportunity. No doubt there'll be injuries in that back three as the um, test series wears on. But they love Keith Earls. They've given him a contract to the end of the World Cup, which is a real sign that we're backing you to get to the World Cup and be part of our squad. Yeah, and and I can I can kind of I can see why people people have made the argument for Larmer, but you're going to have less space to do all that box de- that like fancy fancy stepping against the All Blacks. Whether in Hamilton the other day was Mankey and Earls is he's so consistent all the time. Yeah, you mightn't get as many flashes of brilliance, but that's not what you want at times for your winger. Like yeah, like it's it's great. But you want consistent. You need to be solid, especially against this team. So no, I can see Wild they back Earls, and he's been like he's basically had a second lease of life when he's playing ball now. And I think he's like a, a stalwart of this this team in particular. He adds a great bit of energy. So like no, I can see why Farrell picked him. I can see why there's there's moans going up. But like if I'm if I'm in that that coaching staff, I'd be like I'd be giving a nod to Earls myself. He knows he's played against these before. He's got plenty of experience. And like you're saying, Larmer hasn't been in the green jersey for a while. So I'm, he's going to get an opportunity um, on this tour, but maybe not as early as he would would like. Where does the balance lie uh, between getting a humbling experience in a positive sense and uh, and a crushing experience like yesterday might have been or that might be coming down the line over over the next few weeks. Like say, for example, if you're Jimmy O'Brien, who's been brilliant all season for, for Leinster and, and struggled a little bit yesterday, how do you ensure if you're Andy Farrell that that becomes a positive experience? Because he may not get the minutes against New Zealand, against the All Blacks to actually prove himself after a, a disappointing morning yesterday. I think a lot of that is when you get a little bit more experience, it's it's easier to to find the positives and also be a little bit clinical with like, I did this poorly, I did this poorly, I need to work on this. And then you kind of put it in a box and go ahead and, and try and like make the best of it, like learn from it. And when you're younger, a lot of the time emotionally, that can kind of seep in. So for Farrell and for his teammates, it's about really nipping that in the bud and making sure that you still have a confident Jimmy O'Brien who's he's off the back of a really strong season with Leinster. You don't want that one, that one experience against like such a strong team to, to kind of stick there permanently. So it's about like, yeah, addressing what did go well, what didn't go well. Absolutely kind of doing like heavy reps on things that you want to work on in camp and then just parking it and kind of moving on. And a lot of it is your teammates, just kind of like telling you to get over it yourself and not being 
not being too sympathetic. And um, I find that that work with me anyway, you get like a little bit of, oh, woe is you. And then you you move on or or you're bringing everyone down as well. We're in a really weird situation here where we're all thinking about what's going to happen at the World Cup. The management are trying to make sure that they've got depth built for the World Cup. They've got confidence going into the World Cup that the team is performing well and that they know what's going on, while at the same time trying to bring players through who don't have experience of winning big games. And it's such a fine balancing act over the next while. Some of these games you can take a risk in, but not many. Like You can't really take a risk in the three tests against the All Blacks. There's a couple of tests in November where you can take some risks. But again, if you get blown out in a big game by a future opponent who you might meet at the World Cup, what's the long-term psychological damage of that? And then you've got the Six Nations and then you've got the World Cup and that's it. Like it's, it's, the World Cup is coming down the tracks. In game times, it's, it's like less than eight or nine really serious, meaningful games before the kickoff of the World Cup. So, I, you know... It's so difficult to know what we should be trying to do or what we should be hoping for from this three-test series if you just take the three-test series, Jenny. Yeah, like, I think you have to look at being like, okay, we're playing against, we're going to be playing against the best team in the world. You want to be sharpening the arsenal that you know already works. Like, your your spine of your team, like, you know, the Sexton's, uh, Furlong's, pace of the game, get them sharp, get them confident, and then also it's about still bleeding in. And, and like you're saying, it is it is a balance, but still needs to be done. We know from previous World Cups that something can hit the fan and someone that we heavily relied on or we, we feel like is pinnacle to Ireland's success gets an injury and we have to rely on something else. So you kind of want to spread that confidence throughout the team being like, I'm able to play at that pace. I'm able to play at this level. And like that's what I think they're trying to do from the looks of that Irish squad right now. You've got like a really experienced centre partnership. You've got strong sub- subs to come on as well. So like I don't know what the number is. Do you have like, you know, 13 of your like locked in starters and then you start kind of moving stuff around? There's a lot of like that battle again for centre is like, do we go with, you know, Aki's on the bench um, uh, coming up in this game? Ring Rose, Henshaw, I think they've performed really well together at Leinster. Do you mix that up a little bit as well? I think at this stage, it's like you can still make some big twists and some slightly off calls. And as we get closer, and even in the Six Nations, that's where we're going to see something cemented in. So like, I don't think we need to be particularly worried. Like, yes, we want a performance. We don't want to get blown out. Like, that's like, they're really obvious things. But... Farrell also can't stick with like, you know, a Victorian sponge. We know it works. You know, it's great. It's delicious. But there needs to be some little pockets of something different, too, that we can kind of rely on when we go into this World Cup and we face off really strong opponents and potentially the All Blacks. We need a layer cake, right? <laughs> we are all agreed. We need a layer cake here. The minute, the minute I said it, I was like, why did I think of a Victorian sponge? There's better cakes, like a Black Forest Gatto, <laughs> something like that. But yeah. Black Forest Gatto sometimes can be ruined. They add booze to it and it just doesn't work sometimes. Yeah, you don't want to overdo the cherries. No, and the exactly. cherries are the little experiments here. So, yeah. yeah, we'll stick with the cake analogy and I'll get slagged horrendously for this. There after. are no cherries in this team. This is like his first choice. This is, I'm I'm going to war. If, if the World Cup final was tomorrow and these players were available and they were the only players available, that's who he's picking. There's zero experimentation with this group for this team, for this game on Saturday. So, like, they're putting, they're putting all of their chips in the middle and it's like, 
Right, lads. It's up to you now. Well, this is the team where you're like, you look at it and you kind of nod your head and you're like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. And it's up to those guys to hold on to the jersey because the teams that are sitting on the team, sitting, the, the, the lads that are sitting on the bench, the guys that are on high bench are looking at that being like, how do I knock X player off? How do I get to that stage? So it's like the benchmark is here. And how do I get that jersey? Um, and if players go really well and those 15 perform, then yeah, they're going to be difficult to budge. But it's a long way away from the World Cup. It's still a really long tour. So much things could change. So it's like, it's it's early days. One of the uh, slightly concerning things just from listening to, to Keith Wood yesterday was just talking about the, the skills difference that he saw between the Ireland players and the Maori All Blacks. That feels like... They're handling they're rem- in the rain. Uh, they're left-handed pass at yeah. full tilt. It's like, uh oh. Like uh, as you said yourself, Jenny. Like it was a it was a dog of a day down there, which um, should suit Ireland to, to a certain degree. It's like, here, I mean, doesn't it? It does it, sometimes. It, it does, and um, like I guess it it is often like just a, a great leveler in terms of what you're going to identify in terms of skills. I appreciate like you're, you're right. There is a lot of rugby to be played here, and we're totally overreacting to yesterday. But if we can just you know lean into the overreaction for a moment, just on a on a skills level, was that a, a red flag for you at all? yesterday it, it was a little bit concerning um because it didn't look like it was raining on the the on Mary ball like we're talking mm. about like passing at pace fingertip passing and also like being really smart like like and and not just the backs here like the tight five looked so comfortable with ball in hand and the step up from the Mary team that played the weekend to you know the likes of Cody Taylor, Brody Retallick, they're even a different level again when it comes to handling. They look so comfortable. And it's not even like in 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 manky weather, ball is coming at you. And a lot of the time it's security first and then get the ball away. And that didn't that wasn't a concern at all. It was like fingertip, catch and pass. Everyone knew where everyone was, really strong support lines and really quick rook ball. Now, I think, like, a lot of that is, like, yes, their handling was brilliant. I thought they managed the game really well. Any opportunity that Ireland gave them with, like, quite poor kicking at times that was a bit aimless, they really punished us. Like, I think they three tries in the first half came from, like, little wayward kicks that didn't seem that organised. I don't think the All Blacks, the All Blacks won't get that space um, today, or at the weekend, tomorrow. Sorry, time difference and everything. Uh, but, yeah, it is something that's supremely impressive. I do think that Ireland's, particularly um, front three, are ballers and they do have the ability to pass the ball. But, like, across the board, I think All Blacks and the Marys, Mary All Blacks are, uh, yeah, they're they're freakishly skillful. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's scary and it's something you need to nullify. But, like, cut down on those quick rook balls so we're defensively set as early as possible so we're able to put that under pressure because we were kind of going backwards at times and they the ball was away before we even had time to kind of get set so that's one area I'd imagine Farrell would be really trying to like focus on um, before the game If you think about how test series have gone for teams going to New Zealand in the past and you just, just look at the Lions absolutely obliterated in 05 and then just about break even the last time they were down there. That was the Lions with the pick of the countries. 
so what do you think is going to happen over the three tests and give us your prediction for this weekend Jenny I think um, I think it's going to be an All Blacks win but a close one uh, next game then I'll like, it's so hard to, to kind of say when you don't know the teams and stuff I'll go I'll go All Blacks to, to win this tour 2-1 uh, to one. I think we'd, so take, like, we'd take a 2-1 right at this stage yeah. it'd be like alright something happened like, in the last test or- yeah at, the, at this stage but like we, then we look at the game and you're like actually do you know what Ireland could get two scalps here and come away with a really solid tour um, so yeah I'm, 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 I'm really hesitant to, to put forward a, a sweeping a sweeping statement but I think I think you'd be pretty happy with that Absolutely I think a lot of Irish rugby fans are in the defence position where it's like oh, we're probably going to lose these three and that'll be okay because, you know, uh, our lot in life is to be disappointed around the time of the World Cup. And it's better to get our disappointment started now. So anything that happens good at the World Cup is actually like the the time that Gordon Hamilton nearly beat Australia. It's like... Uh, yeah, yeah, we don't want... I think I think it's sort of like our hopes, we don't want them to hit roller coaster pinnacle level only to be quarterfinal curse. Yeah. So, yeah, like maybe maybe a touch or two, a disappointment um, in in New Zealand and then all guns blazing for the World Cup. And wasn't Do you know it, what? I'd take that. Yeah, wasn't it nice of Leinster to get that ball rolling by losing the Heineken Cup final and bringing us all back to earth going, oh, <laughs> hang on a second. They, they are human. So Super, super sound. Yeah, super exactly. sound. Exactly, yeah. They took one for the team there. Jenny, good stuff. Thanks a million. No worries. Thanks, guys. So Jenny Murphy giving us her thoughts on uh, cakes and the team this weekend. Yeah, what, what will it end up being? A, a caterpillar cake or a... Colin the Caterpillar. Yeah, best cake around. Cake, good cake, very good cake. Best cake around, to be quite honest. So that's what we got to hope for. Insert scrum analogy there. Um, um, I am, I am, I am worried. The 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 Mary game. I didn't see it. I listened to you guys afterwards, and I am worried. The the one thing I would say is that Andy Farrell and his coaching ticket got a lot of credit in the Six Nations for how Ireland set up. Uh, for in it, like uh, granted, it's a more fluid style of rugby than under Joe Schmidt. It's not as pres- prescriptive, but it's still a plan. It's still an approach to the game that those players would have been uh, would have been it would have been drilled into these players in training and throughout the experience of Six Nations. Can that game plan be imposed on a brand new team? Like when you when, you're, when you've got like was it five debutants in, in in the starting team yesterday or or certainly the first uh, like one of the first experiences start, starting in the green shirt or, or certainly when you throw in substitutions, then how can you ex- expect that amount of change to a team and expect the same game plan to be as sharp? No, it's it's very difficult. It's just that the Leinster performance in the Champions Cup final included some errors that we haven't seen that often from this Ireland team and if those errors happen in a green jersey the way they happened in that blue jersey then we'll get hammered because every time one of those errors happens it's not La Rochelle it's the All Blacks who are again a step forward from that and they'll be running in tries so more tries I mean La Rochelle did run in a lot of tries mm. so I, that's you put together the Mary performance which obviously is a completely different team with the end of the season for Leinster and, and in the um in the URC it's like oof oof these guys need to play better than they played since the Six Nations yeah yeah there's been there's been you know <coughs> yeah no that, that that's 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 okay. true um, yeah one, one last question one last comment here after yesterday's performance I think there was an overreaction to the loss to the New Zealand Mary we deserved to lose but left a number of tries out there 
while there were several tries conceded that were soft as James McCullough giving us all a glass half full it's time for the papers there are so many idiots out there so many spoofers there's a lot of horse I think he's a total spoofer what do you mean a spoofer he's a bullshit ah no I'm a, come on don't, don't be no I'm not yes. no All right, at uh, 8.34, we can run you through the papers. Um, where are we going to start? Going to start with otbsports.com? No, we're not. We're going to start with the papers. The front of the Irish Independent has Robbie Keane, John O'Shea, and... And you. And James Nesbitt okay. during the Irish Open program. And on the back, this might be the photograph of the day, it's uh, two two ballers. It's uh, Joe Canning and Angela Downey. Angela has 10 times more All-Ireland medals than Joe Canning. 13 times more, maybe? Um... So she's the all-time great camogie player. He's the all-time great hurler. And uh, I don't know, were they both playing? They both appear to have clubs there. So um, yeah, two greats meeting. It's a good old day. It's a, like we should protect the Irish Open. We should help the Irish Open. We should be part of the fact that the thing exists. Yeah. Like it's this massive jamboree where all of European golf comes. And I know European golf can sometimes always suffers by comparison mm. with uh, the Americans but like the co-sanctioned events the increase in prize money like becoming part of the PGA Tour that's either part of the future or or they get in bed with the Saudis and we're all disgusted by it so like a various range of outcomes are on the table for the DP World Tour at the moment and some of those DP World Tour sorry, European Tour events look look terrible on television but when you go to and I'm not including the Irish Open in it, but it feels like the Irish Open has kind of been immune to that like it doesn't have that sort of library feel on a Thursday Friday it feels like there's actually an amazing atmosphere at the Irish Open every year even if you're watching it on TV and then you go to it and it's even better like it doesn't feel that I'm not I can't even think well, of it. Irish golf fans love golf like that's the thing and like they're genuine enthusiasts and they're interested in like the run-of-the-mill tour player and they follow those Not it's not just the superstars who get followed obviously they get yeah. the main thing but um, yeah so yeah well I mean the the gallery that you obviously had following you yesterday wouldn't have been up to the, to the standard that you might expect but it, such is life yeah there you go uh, Ireland defeat overshadowed by Lukeman concussion row New Zealand Union may investigate its concern expressed over failure to remove players. So this uh, obviously is an ongoing row around the HIA. Should there have been a HIA at all when there was a suspected concussion should it have been removed? Who's responsible for that? Uh, That is all going to come out in the wash and uh, it's just not a great look for rugby. Injuries mount as Farrell sees stocks depleted is the headline on that. Sloppy Ireland open with heavy defeat to Marys. Scandal happy to halt holiday in Portugal after New Zealand call-off. He was, like, uh, literally on the piss having the crack, which you should be at this stage of the season if you're a rugby player, but they're not. Emma Raducanu has been on the front of the Telegraph every time she's played, but she won't be on again. Uh, Raducanu's Wimbledon dream ends in tatters. She was beaten. Andy Murray was beaten uh, last night by John Isner. Britain as a country beaten. I mean, yeah, it's, um, he's, he's Scottish. Uh, Mac at work for us all. Shane Larry wants the Irish Open's date the calendar to be looked at again to cater for the absent Roy McIlroy schedule. Larry's comments came after it was revealed there were no plans to make it a co-sanctioned event with the PGA Tour, but Keith Pelly says that under new extended and strengthened deal with the PGA Tour, American Chiefs will encourage top stateside players to compete in Ireland. It's kind of like we'd like you to as opposed to we're incentivising you to. So we'll see. We should be putting pressure on the European Tour to, to fix that. Blues play it cool. Uh, Napoli defender's latest superstar in Bowley sights as he plans explosive start to Stanford Bridge Rain. He's very hands-on. He's like a proper American-style 
owner. It's like, I've decided I'm just going to be involved in everything. It's very, very unusual. Mm. Is that what Chelsea fans will want to wonder? Maybe, if it, if it buys them the best players in the world. Uh, right, time for virtual insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! Jerry and Owen, good morning. Oh, no mic on. Oh, yeah, here we go. Hey, how are you? Mike goes on. Chair known. Good morning. What's the crack? How are you getting on? Pretty good. Got some inside information for you, which I'll get to in a moment. Oh, great. What, what have you got? Um, I've got uh, four golfers for the Irish Open at Mount Juliet in Kilkenny. Thomas Peters is the main one at 18 to 1, uh, the Pogues price from a fairy tale in New York uh, for four each way. And Thomas Peters. You sure it's not 10 to 1? Came in at 10 to 1. Well, you know, after the money, that's going to be the deluge. After I give this tip, there will be. Uh, obviously, you cut in price. It's safe. I mean, it's, it's an obvious. It's clearly 18 to 1. Everybody knows it's 18 to 1. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Uh, yeah. Everybody. Everyone. Everybody. So, Thomas Peters uh, doesn't really like playing in America, but he likes playing in the European Tour or the GP World Tour, as they now call it. Five starts in this side of the pond this year, five top 15s. Was second last week, beaten by Hao Tong Lee in a playoff. Uh, was 12th in this last year. Hits the ball a mile. The par fives will suit him. Plays really well. I think he's a really good, solid proposition. He's third best-ranked player in this field, Thomas Peters. He's the headline tip in this Irish Open this week each way. Johannes Veerman, the reason why I'm picking him at 50-1 to 1 for two each way, I had luckily had Lucas Herbert in this last year, and Veerman was his biggest challenger. I need two bogeys down the stretch, finished third. Then he came out three weeks later and won. So he showed a bit of resolution, and he's playing better this year than he was last year. He was uh, 10th at the European Open, 20th at the Scandinavian Mixed. Johannes Veerman, the American, at 50-1 to 1 for two each way. He's the second one. Ville Besseling of the Netherlands is 80-1 to 1 for two each way. Played well for the first couple of rounds of the US Open. Uh, was second recently at the European Open, uh, about to break his duck on the tour. Um, went close there and was 17th in this last year. Ville Besseling, I think, could do well this week uh, at 80 to 1 for two each way. And we've got to pick one of our own. The one I picked at 150 to 1 for two each way is Niall Carney, who really caught my eye last week. He was, uh, what, 15th at the BMW International Open, three rounds and, uh, you know, really good rounds. Uh, he was 13 under par for his last three rounds, 15th in Belgium, four top 12s last year. Won a couple of Irish PGAs, missed the cut last year, and this might have been putting too much pressure on himself. But Niall Carney is someone I've noticed in the last couple of years on the European Tour doing well. So Niall Carney, Ville Besseling, Johannes Veerman, and Thomas Peters, lads. Uh, that's what we're looking at. Right. And uh, I would say John Catlin. John Catlin, yeah. Who won the Irish Open at Galgorm Castle a couple of that's years right. ago. And uh, obviously knows what to do. Likes parkland courses. Not afraid to win. Who gave you the... Was it John himself? I was just playing with him and I thought, this guy's playing very pretty well. Now, obviously, they're already out and his odds have uh, lengthened there. So, uh, no, he's out to 80 to 1 on Paddy Power. So, he's not teeing off till half one. I'm saying get on it a euro each way at least. Euro each way on John Catlin. Also, I did a bonus article for otbsports.com and uh, the OTB app on the John Deere Classic. So I picked six uh, uh, horses there, or golfers. Uh, Adam Svensson is my headline tip, the Canadian. Adam Svensson at uh, 50 to 1 in the John Deere Classic. If you want to read more about that, you can check out the website, otbsports.com. Um, I'm just looking here. Thurston Lawrence yeah. is 4 under through 5. 
So that's it. <laughs> he's probably about a thousand to one. So he is ripping it up at the moment. These Irish Opens can be uh, unusual in terms of uh, their winners. Yeah, they, they, I think well, the winning total last year was like only nineteen. Right. Okay. So they they did take it apart a little bit, but not too much. Um, and different weather conditions last year. The rough was very very uh, difficult yesterday. So um, there you go. That is Do you have any birdies or pars? Or yeah, yeah, back to back birdies. Well, I'll bring it. Yeah. Thank which, you for asking, John. Which which holes? Uh, six and seven. Oh, class. That's brilliant. Yeah. He won. He won the Pro-Am. Well, in the morning. We, we finished in the prizes in the morning. What did you get? Uh, two wine glasses. A crystal, a crystal, yeah. Nice water for crystal wine glasses, yeah. yeah. That's cool. There you go. I'd recommend it. You should, Dermot Day were playing in the afternoon. Yeah, that was funny. You could see the, um, the sports file pictures. Uh with uh, Dave in the boiler suit and Dermot looking like somebody who was going to join the Love Tour <laughs> uh, next I mean, week. You know what? Like it, it's right there. It's uh, it's it's open to somebody to provide that uh, comic relief to all the all those grim like Patrick Reed whining. Ah, wow, 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 the PGA Tour. Wow, wow, wow. Like, isn't, it, isn't it really strange, lads, that everybody you would have expected to join the Live Tour has joined the Live no, Tour? No, it's exactly what you would have predicted, isn't it? Yeah, you know, like it's every uh, every single every single guy you would have expected to join has joined all the assholes are gone from the PGA Tour now yeah. it's amazing now uh, some of them some of them sure about that some of them on the live are like wait until you see who else comes like this isn't finished like well if they just finished now you'd be happy enough wouldn't you yeah I think you'd, you'd cut you'd your losses pretty happy and go alright lads off you go go on have that fake uh, Brooks Kepka versus the beef Bryson all the time we don't care we can literally ignore it I mean I know the golf journalists are like oh we can't ignore this because it's golf and it's uh, still happening and it's revolutionising the game but the rest of us can just go we don't care the rotor skaters team they keep on changing the team names I've seen that uh, during the week it, 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 the, the guys when they talk about this almost you can see the soul departing from their bodies when, when they start talking about this kind of stuff um, oh yeah my schedule a uh, better schedule well actually factually that's not completely correct uh, I've got to say everything else um, they got better shirts I've I got to say something that doesn't say money although it literally says money uh, sorry live on their shirts now as well Pat pa- pa- Perez uh, was pictured with uh, I don't know whether it was yesterday or not but pictured with a, a shirt uh, which is like all daughter signs all daughters daughter bills are all on the shirt like in fairness to him he did say this is like winning the lottery at my stage of life you know he, he was like honest, fairly that's naked fair that's, about, that's, like, I, I don't mind it as long as people are honest um, look like, there is a bit of a water battery about it and like not everywhere like the European tour used to play in Saudi my issue with the whole thing about Liv is the dilution of competition and the fact that um, it, you know to sport to me is all about competition and money should be secondary but unfortunately um, capitalism has ruined the world yeah I, I, I mean it, they, these are just little little um, contractors who are trying to make as much money as they can that's what this is they do it through the medium of golf um, what else John are, how are you feeling ahead of the weekend's hurling um, I'm feeling I, it's very hard to judge Clare and Kilkenny I, I, I think that the Wexford game is what exactly what Clare needed because uh, they were obviously hung over from the Munster final and they really had to dig it out Kilkenny, I have felt in the last few years, are, have played probably to the end of their potential. But do they have the talent to play a 80-minute game, which they're going to have to with, a, with, a, with injury time? It feels like this year they do have the talent to yeah, do that yeah. in a way that they might not have had in recent years, that some of their younger players are, are starting to reach 
physical maturity, tactical maturity, technical maturity, and they're now it's it's their team, and the outlads are like brilliant to have, but not necessary. Like it's I don't think it's going to be TJ who wins the game for them. His his freeze will keep the teams close, but it's actually going to be uh, Adrian Mullen or Cody or the new defenders who have emerged as absolute rock-solid starters for Kilkenny over the last 12 to 14 months that actually, if Kilkenny win the game, are going to turn it their way. And then, obviously, there's Tony Kelly back in Croke Park where he likes yeah. it. He's got, a, he's got a good record there going all the way back to 2013. He's been good. Yeah, we got Colin Ryan coming to the studio on Saturday for a chat right. um, with uh, Kieran Carey, hopefully, as well. Right, and, wow. And, and we've got Paul Murphy down at Croke Park. So, like, it's going to be going to really... Big build up to the game on uh, on Saturday evening. I, I, I think it'll be very physical. Uh, can Clare get a few goals? I think it'll be much more straightforward for Limerick on Sunday. I think if Key Lynch is back, I, I do think Limerick are better than Galway. I think by a few points, I think Galway are still learning under Henry. Um, and Limerick, like whether it's Limerick Kilkenny or Limerick Clare in the final, there's going to be a brilliant storyline either way. There's a chance Limerick blow Galway out, isn't there? I think 100%, so, yeah. 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 Six points is the spread at the moment. It's one point in, in the other game, which you, you would expect. Uh, six, to me, suggests that uh, the bookies are giving Galway a chance. Um, like, I thought it was actually going to be a little bit bigger than that because of the potential that Limerick have to blow somebody away. So, I wonder what, what, is, what, is, what is the thing that they're looking at? Even when you look at, say, the... It's very hard to look at anything in the Cork game and say that Limerick wouldn't wouldn't beat them significantly. But maybe it's just the, the Sheffield aspect, the, the aspect that this team has been to an All-Ireland final, that if you rewind the clocks a few years, you would have said that, especially like 2018, when they get to the final, there wouldn't have been a whole pile between them. It's just the, the, the distance that Limerick have travelled since then. And being champions, they've the crown has rested lightly on their head. And obviously going back-to-back already is, is something that people look into as well. Yeah, and Gerard McInerney looks like he, he's going to miss the game. And then you add Keane Lynch back into the Limerick team. Like that yeah. swing from the, from the quarter-finals is a significant enough one as well. But six to me suggests that Galway have a chance. Well, I, I think the bookies are pricing in the possibility that uh, Limerick have somebody sent off, that their discipline has been something that has been questionable and that there have been incidents surrounding them that have been remarked about on the TV afterwards and so that therefore, if something happens early, there's going to be a red card for it and that that might bring the game back to. Or is it the fact that the last time Limerick played... They couldn't get the job done in normal time. And yes, there were players to come back into the team, but they needed extra time to beat Clare. And if it was Galway against Clare this weekend, what are you, who are you picking? You're picking Clare just, just. So I know it doesn't work like that. Uh, styles make fights. And the, the, the style of Clare and their approach to, uh, to Limerick has been the thing that's given them an extra chance this year. But still, if you had Clare against Galway in the morning, I'm not sure anybody could confidently predict that one either. And one of those two teams got a draw against Limerick. So maybe that's what they're factoring in here. Maybe maybe we're just riding this off a little bit too quickly. Still think Limerick will win. You had your um, sports journalist hat on there, though, John. As a Clare Hurling fan, what are you thinking? I'm quietly confident. I haven't played Kilkenny in 16 years. Um, so look, I'm quite, I, I, I'd much rather be playing uh, Kilkenny than Limerick. Uh, again, so uh, yeah, I'm hopeful, hopeful, hopeful towards confident. Right, somewhere between hopeful and confident. All right, that's this week's version of Virtual <laughs> Insanity. Best of luck. All right. You have entered Power Drive. Oh!
Right, it's 8.50 this morning. This week on Garda Síochána with ambassadors from all around Ireland have launched the hashtag Slowdown campaign. This Garda initiative is to encourage all motorists to slow down on our roads. As of June 21st, 82 people have been killed on our roads so far this year. A stark and worrying figure. The aim of this campaign is to encourage all road users to modify their behaviour on our roads and to encourage all age groups to think about road safety and how they can influence the behaviour of others. In recent years, Ireland has reduced road deaths through a collective effort and we all have a role to play in saving lives. You can follow on Garda Síochána's Facebook page at Garda Traffic, or, uh, sorry, it's at Garda Traffic on Twitter and Garda Insta on Instagram this week to help share this vital message and the hashtag is Slow Down. Joining us to talk more about this campaign is Tipperary's own Porik Mar. Porik, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Good lads and yourselves? Yeah. Campaigns like this, um, having somebody to come out and talk about it uh, who actually understands what it means on a day-to-day basis like yourself, it, it's really important. Uh, when you get asked to do something like this, are you absolutely happy to lean into it and say, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be the face of this. We should all be slowing down on the roads. Yeah, definitely, Ger. Um, obviously, it is part of my job day in, day out, um, dealing with incidents like this, unfortunately. But um, yeah, look, it's vital. And look, um, Garda Síochána don't, don't just pull these um, campaigns, you know, out of the sky. Really, like, you know, there's stats behind these reasons why they are and, Unfortunately, there's been 83 this year so far, and we're only coming to the end of June. Like so, um, you know that's too, way too many for any given year. Never mind for six months. So, um, yeah, it's very important, I suppose. That I suppose everyone in the community, you know, all our friends, our family, our colleagues are aware, and you know, you know, keep in mind that you know it is a big need for us all just to slow down. Um, you know, speed limits are there for the reason, Ger, and I know we all kind of give up at times and. You know, you might have your, your your friend or that giving out that they were caught with a speed man or something, but they're there for a reason and they're saving lives every day in, day out. So, um, yeah, it is vital that we're all aware of this campaign. And I suppose I just urge everyone to to be aware of it and and, and pass the word around. And we've all seen in social media the last few days. So um, hopefully everyone's become more aware. The, the thing about road traffic accidents is that for most people, it's, uh, an item on the news bulletin or it's on your Google Maps telling you it flashes red because there's been an accident and so therefore try and avoid the area. For you guys who it is part of your day-to-day job, you actually go to the scene of the, the accident and you see the devastation for the people who get killed but also for those people who survive and have life-changing injuries. Yeah, like it's not an exposing clinic. Thankfully everyone doesn't, don't, doesn't have to deal with it too much but we see it day in, day out, as you were saying, Ger, and it's not nice when you're going meeting families, you know, of of people that have been injured or, or even killed in accidents. And, you know, it's it's just not a nice place to be and it's not a nice place for, it's not a nice situation for a family to be put in or a friend to be put in. You know, we've had colleagues being in, in the same incident. So, like, I suppose not till then that it really opens your eyes and, and how much it hits someone. And, you know, it's just very important that, you know, something simple like for us all just to slow down you know, be aware of, of our behaviour on the roads, um, you know, slowing down with speed limits, you know, mobile phone use in the car, you know, all them small things can make a big difference, you know, to all our lives. And um, yeah, exactly. Once you don't see, once you see, once we see it firsthand, in the, it really opens your eyes to, you know, the hurt and devastation it can cause. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's very important that we can keep the, the collisions down if we can at all as a community. I was I was driving home yesterday from the Irish Open and there was an item on the news about uh, a coroner hearing in Donegal Town about an accident that had happened in Bondoran and just the details of it. Um, 
you know, they were travelling at 121 kilometres an hour and, like, I looked around me and there was loads of people travelling around that same pace. I can tell you I slowed down straight away. Immediately, I was like, OK, there's literally no point in this. I think sometimes we're a bit reluctant to talk about just how horrific the outcomes will be and the difference that 40 kilometres an hour makes between 80 and 120 or between 80 and 40 kilometres an hour in the, in the right zones. And actually... I don't know, maybe maybe people just tune out, maybe it just becomes noise in the background, road deaths and, and how we report on them and how we talk about them. But I, I think it's really important that, you know, the first hand accounts that you guys give of, of that devastation of knocking on somebody's door and telling them that their loved one has passed away in a car accident, that maybe if we do a bit more of this, it might help people slow down. Yeah, you'd be hoping that's the reason why the campaign is there and make everyone aware. And um, look, I suppose if you just talk to someone who is, you know, being under the receiving end of bad news um, in relation to someone, a friend or a colleague or a family member being involved in an accident uh, who has been seriously injured or, or tragically killed. You know, it's not nice. And like, you know, speed limits are there for the reason, no matter if you're going through a 60 kilometre zone and you're going 70 kilometres through it, it's 60 kilometres for a reason. And look, I've been through accidents over the years um, through my work that, you know, you've been speaking with, you know, um, traffic collision investigators and you know and things like that and they'd be saying that you know 10 kilometers can make such a difference to either you know saving a person's life or someone getting tragically killed you know so um look you just hope everyone become aware this week of of the reasons why on garish Connor are i suppose driving this campaign this week um you know age three people in six months is a, is too many people like and um you know, hopefully we can we can we can bring them numbers down majorly over the next over the next couple of weeks and months. Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, that's your day job. You're you're uh, the reason that everybody knows you in Ireland is because you were one of the best hurdlers of your generation. How are you finding no longer identifying as an intercounty hurdler? What's that whole period been like for you to to get back into civilian life? Yeah, it's been strange, George. To be honest with you, um, I suppose I'm getting used to it a bit now. Just trying to fill the void of. I suppose that bit, that routine I had for for so long, you know, um, being involved in a in a high performance setup with Tipperary, you know. So um, yeah, it's strange, but look, I'm getting to do a lot of other things in my life now, and I'm enjoying going to all the matches. I've been to so many games this year um, with Tip not even being involved, you know. So it's great to be able to go and to sit back and relax and actually watch the games and I suppose analyse them and and try and understand what other teams do be getting up to. So um, I'm really enjoying it and. Uh, yeah, looking forward to the weekend's games now again myself. Are you going to those games as a potential future coach or potential future manager? Is that in your head? Are you going just as a Hurling fan? What, what's your, how have, you, how have you settled in? How would you classify yourself when you're there in the stands? Yeah, look, I suppose I'd be going, I prefer if Tipperary were there, George, to be honest with you, to go support him. But um, unfortunately, that's not working out this year. But no, definitely as a Hurling fan, and you're number one, but... As, as I said there, look, you'd be looking kind of with a, with a, with a kind of a, a coach's hat on in a way to see what teams are getting up to, how they're setting up, you know, matchups, you know, how how players are, how we'll say if Kilkenny are going to do with Tony Kelly, etc. So, look, it's, it's intriguing that kind of way, and I suppose I'm only out of the scene, so I kind of I have some sort of understanding of what way teams will go about it. So, um, it's kind of interesting for me to go and analyse in that certain way. But yeah, mostly just being a hurling fan and being able to go to these games with no pressure and being able to go and enjoy them and, and, and watch them, you know, it's 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 a different experience, but it's one I'm enjoying. Did, did you get to the Tipperary games this year, and did you enjoy them? I did, Owen. Yeah, I got to them. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't enjoy many of them. To be honest with you, uh, I went down to the first one, Blow and Walsh Park, and 
you know, it was actually tough to watch it for myself because to really hit me that day, the first time that I wasn't really involved watching the lads uh, run out on the pitch that day. But I suppose the ball was turning in and, you know, my brother playing and that. So my my thoughts and, and feelings kind of turned straight away into be a supporter and, and trying and support lads as best I could. And unfortunately, I've been, I've been I went to the rest of the games this year and it didn't turn out great for us. But um, yeah, disappointing year from from a Tipperary perspective, to be sure. Um, yeah, hopefully there's a lot of learnings for for a few people in it now. To be honest with you, are you quiet in the in the stands? Are you shouting? What what? How how does that work? Are you like, oh look, I I've been out there. I don't want anybody shouting. Or are you like screaming and yelling and roaring? Yeah, I suppose I I be kind of I be kind of trying to support him from a point of view that I know what what the players are going through, and what they're dealing with, whether things are going good or going or not going so good. So um, but I do find myself a be jumping off the seat a good bit all right and you know you just you know some players can probably do better and you're, you're probably you know trying to encourage them to do that bit better but I'd uh, say they still recognise your voice as well they're like hang on a second what's going on where, where did that come from <laughs> oh, I don't know that, but I don't, they're probably saying what's that Egypt doing here now does again I thought he was gone but <laughs> um, but yeah I know it's, it's a serious experience this year to be honest with you and uh, look I, make, I was talking to Kim McGrath a few, a few, a few months ago when I retired and he said to me, once you get the first year out of the way, the rest will be, everything else will be fine. You'll be like any normal supporter, so hopefully he's right. <laughs> does sound like you're interested in management, though. Yeah, maybe so. It's like, like um, I suppose I'm just helping out my club at home there now at the moment and uh, just to get a taste for it and see what do I enjoy it. And maybe it's not something I might enjoy or, you know, already I see there's so much work involved in being in, involved in the management team, even with even with just the club. So, um We'll see how it goes this year and, and, and we'll go from there. But but yeah, look, as I said, you're, you're, you're just, I suppose it's natural in me to go and, and watch these games, I suppose, just to see what way teams are setting up and how they're going about their business, you know. Uh, we were just chatting before you came on air about the, the semi-finals this weekend and I'd say the Galway camp internally completely does not reflect the conversation that's happening around the country this week which seems to be how many points are, are Limerick going to win by just for, from your own experience like I mean you beat Limerick in, in 2019 at the end of the round Robin before losing the, the Munster final and then uh, last year obviously you had a good old lead against them at, at half time didn't get the job done in the end there, there was I guess an element of that tip team your tip team that knew what to do at least against Limerick so what can Galway do this weekend when, when you take your own experiences into it? Yeah, um, I suppose they're coming off. They, 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 they beat them below on the Gaelic grounds at the start of the year in the league, and everyone was kind of vying them up to be this. You know, the physicality of Galway will, will match and beat possibly beat Limerick. Um, like Percy, myself, I just I'm so I'm finding it so hard to find a way of or a reason why Galway are going to win the game. To be honest with you, um, I just think the big thing for Limerick was to get through that monster championship. There was a few. A few games there, which would have been tricky for them, and they were coming off, I suppose, a reasonably poor league campaign by their standards. But they passed that month's championship flying colours, and I just can't see them. You know, I think 2019 against Kilkenny is going to be ringing in their ear um, for the last few weeks since the monster final of when they slipped up against Kilkenny um, and got caught in that semi final. I just think that that's going to stand to them this year. They have a lot of the same players involved, um, and I just don't see. The, a form coming from Galway from the last few games um, I thought they got very lucky against Cork um, to come through Cork didn't take all their chances but in saying that then lads I'd, like you know 
as a player then you'd love to be in the Galway dressing room all the same because you're coming in there's no one giving you a chance you know it's backs against the wall you're against the Ireland champions and you've beaten them already this year in the league so you know you have a way of beating them um, you know you have the players that can beat them it's just a matter of getting the performance out of them but they're all going to have to give unbelievable man of the match performances I feel for them to, to get over the line like, like, what, what is that way like what does a Galway win look like in your head if it happens this weekend um, well I think Galway looking through, through Henry since Henry's taken over you know they all, they're all big physical men and they'll all match the Limerick lads probably in height and weight and strength and things like that um, it's just a matter of trying to get put the bodies back into the middle zone of the pitch I think um, where Limerick do a lot of their damage and turnovers and, and, and things like that I think Galway are going to have to use their physicality there a lot, uh, win that middle third of the pitch. You know, you see Cotton Mannion going back down the pitch, turning over ball in his own in his own half back line. You know, Joe Cooney's back there. You know, Connor Cooney moving back and just getting the ball into hopefully Connor Whelan inside, um, who could do the damage. But so going to he's going to need support. You know, there's a lot of pressure being on his shoulders the last. You know, just definitely this year and the last couple of years for Galway, especially with Joe gone. So. You just need to give him, I suppose, get the bodies behind the ball, turn it over, but also get support into Conor Whelan as quick as they can um, because we know Limerick are not going to move too much. They're going to hold their shape as best they can. So they're going to need support for Conor Whelan. But um, it's, it's going to be a massively physical game in the middle third, I think, lads. And uh, it's just whoever will come out on top of that um, you know, will win the game, obviously. But um, yeah, God, we are going to need to, to have all, all guns firing on, on Sunday, I feel, to, to get over the line. Um, when you think back to that Munster final and the second half performance of Limerick in particular, like everybody talks about the All-Ireland final being their signature performance, but they were so good in that second half against you guys. What was the difference between the first and the second half? Now in retrospect, is there anything you can pinpoint and go, okay, they did something slightly different that caused us, uh, I don't know, whatever. We, we couldn't respond, that gave them the space or was it just like a masterpiece from Limerick? I think structurally in the second half they were definitely more um, stable at, at their back and midfield um, I thought their midfielders sat out a bit so they invited us to I suppose their forwards were putting enough pressure on our backs and midfielders to hit the ball longer to them so they were just soaking up the pressure and then they were able to deliver a good ball into their forwards um, and they got they got early they got, they got an early goal and momentum just shifted you could feel it in the stadium that day lads and uh, you know when the Limerick support get behind them and the energy gets into their team you know, it was just like a tidal wave coming towards us and we just couldn't stop it, to be honest with you. And, you know, we had great movement in, the, in our far lane the first half. We had we were dragging Limerick all over the pitch. We probably took them out of their comfort zone a small bit. We were getting the ball in over their half-back line and making them turn in towards their own goal. But in the second half, we were just, any ball we were getting down to landing on their half-back line and that's what they love in Limerick. And, um, yeah, they just, the energy just changed in the game and they just forced us and score by score they had it back in the space of 15 minutes which was incredible like you know and uh, yeah from our point of view it was very disappointing but um, that's what this team can do to you and you know they seem to be getting even better year and year We had on Cadigan on last week and I, I asked him the same question if, if you could go back now into that dressing room at half time knowing what's coming could you do anything to stop it? Yeah I suppose it was enough experience from us the, on, we had on the pitch that day or to uh, you know you'd imagine that we should have but they just came with such energy and you know as I said you can you could feel the shift of momentum like we one of us should have went down with an injury or 
you know, as I often said to the lads after, one of us even should have started a, a, a shamazel or a bit of a row just to break momentum after the first few minutes because it happened so quickly. You know, they were getting points, points. You know, they got the goal. You know, straight away, it was just like, you know, let someone just do something to stop momentum here. Or even we should have brought our own team back out the field towards our own backline, you know. But I suppose it's championship hurling and it's it's hot and heavy. And to make these decisions, it needs a lot of communication. And we were just overawed by the, the second half performance, really. And it, and it just, you know, especially Keane Lynch took control of that game for them. And I suppose that's in a game like that, you know, that's why to be, you know, the Windsor final was so important win for Clare because they had no Keane Lynch, but he was the go-to man that day against us. And he just single-handedly kind of dragged them back into that game, you know. I have a feeling in retrospect when this Limerick era passes and when they're all uh, retired, that that game is going to end up being one of those really important hinge points because of what happened in the first half where you guys gave one of your best performances of 35 minutes but it turns out you did it against one of the greatest teams of all time so like it's probably zero consolation to you guys that you were all on the field when this thing happened but like you know when you think back against the battles that you had and your team had with the greatest Kilkenny team that there has been like uh, they define that rivalry and um, this Limerick team hasn't had a great rival to go toe-to-toe with them just yet but in that one game we saw absolutely everything from them so I don't know there'll be books written about that there'll be a 30 for 30 made about that game I think <laughs> yeah unfortunately you could be right but uh, but yeah like you know as you said there this Limerick team hasn't really had a you know a team to constantly knock on their door and test them you know you could say clear this year alright they've played three games you know and they haven't been clear over 70 minutes in the three games. So, you know, maybe Clare are coming with something. But to be interesting, you know, Clare have a big, a big game to get over the first on Saturday before they can even think about playing possibly Limerick in the final. So, um, but yeah, in fairness to Clare this year, have been putting up to Limerick toe-to-toe. Um, to be very interesting if two men in the final now, what way it will we'll go after the final. I appreciate this is a cheap question, but was it easier to play against that great Kilkenny team or easier to play against this great Limerick team? Um, Jesus, uh, to be honest, like I, I suppose I've 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 said a few times that you know I've always I always enjoyed playing against that Kilkenny team. Um, you know there was no real, you know I wouldn't say tactics, but there was no, you know it was like you were going out taking on your man and it's man on man and you're beat you have to beat your man, and it was fairly straightforward. You're either up to the task or you weren't. Um. You know, and I thoroughly enjoyed them games over the years. Anytime we played Kilkenny, you know, they were all fantastic games and great to be involved in. And I suppose Limerick is a bit different. I suppose the game has changed, um, I suppose, towards the latter, the latter few years there, especially in my career that, you know, Limerick probably have their own kind of way of playing, style of play. You know, they kind of suck you into their own way of playing, which is, I suppose, what every team finds hard to, to go against, but they do, they're very good at it. And, like I said before, if I was playing full-back for Tipperary 10 years ago, it was three and three inside in the full-back line. Now against Limerick, you could be doing one-on-one one or two-and-two two and there's loads of space around you. So if I'd answer your question, on, I, I prefer to play against the old Kilkenny team. Very good. Uh, just one one last thing I wanted to, to ask about, Paddy, is just, like Joe was making the point earlier, that um, maybe when you look at the, the odds for this weekend, that it's only a six points between Limerick and Galway, according to the bookies, that they're possibly factoring into uh, the occasion that there could be a wild sending off uh, this weekend. And, and these sort of moments can hinge on things that happen in, in a split second, as we saw in the, the 2019 All-Ireland Final, for sure, as well. Um, I just wanted to ask you about the, the art of shouldering right now in hurling, the, the impact of landing a big shoulder on somebody, that momentum shifter, and just how difficult 
it is to nail it right now because we obviously saw it in the, in the quarterfinal uh, Dahi Burke on, on Seamus Harnett he had a big hit when people slowed it down people said look that was shoulder to head and maybe a different referee sends him off even though uh, live watching it I thought wow what, a, what an unbelievable shoulder that is so how heightened is, is that experience right now trying to, to nail shouldering when you're trying to, to, to put an impact or put a marker down on an opponent yeah, look, to be honest with you, it's, it's kind of dying out of the game, isn't it? Because, like, why would a player put himself in that position of probably getting, you know, you can't be, can't say, probably getting sent off because if you don't meet him shoulder on shoulder, now I, I thought Dahi Burks was a brilliant shoulder, to be honest with you. I know slowing down these things probably make them a bit, look a bit worse than what they are, but, like, you're putting yourself in, in a position, you know, to, you're jeopardising your team by getting sent off and, Unfortunately, you know, I feel it should be part of the game, but the way the rules are going now, if you if you anything near the head or the neck area and you're in trouble and we've seen it in the football last weekend, I know the shoulder probably been timed a bit wrong, but you're putting yourself you're putting your team and yourself in a lot of trouble if you do go in with a tackle like that. So unfortunately it probably is dying out of the game, but it is a very difficult skill to probably nail as well um, shoulder on shoulder when everything is going hundred miles an hour around you and you know, I know people often refer to my shoulder against Joe Canning a few years ago, but like, if I look, if that happened now, I'm putting myself and my team in massive, massive jeopardy of get me getting sent off and the team going to 14 players. And that's just the way the rules are gone, unfortunately. And I know if it's in the greater scheme of things, it's look after players and their health. Um, but I think, you know, there are certain ones like Zahi Brooks' shoulder, I think, you know, because Seamus Harney bounced back up off the ground straight away. There was no issue there. You know, a lot of the players are strength conditioned to, to the top quality now um, but unfortunately the way the rules are I'd say these tackles aren't even being attempted really that much anymore because you know there is a fair chance that you could receive a red card for the, for, for your actions so, so if you rewound the clocks to that moment with Joe Canning and put it into today's conditions with refereeing and, and rules would you pull out of that shoulder or just not go for it or, or tackle him in a different way I said, look, I said, that's, when you're playing on earth, you find it in front of 6,000 and the energy is going and, you know, you, you, it's very hard to make split decisions like that. But definitely, I suppose now, and now that was six years ago, now I suppose 2022, you would have to think about what way you are approaching the tackle. You know, maybe you might just have to stand face to face and, and try and hold them up or something. But, you know, as I said, it's, it's, it's literally millimetres of the difference of, you getting a red card or being a fantastic tackle. And as I said, I don't think players are going to take that chance, um, you know, the way the, way the way the rules and the way the games are being officiated now. Can you practice it? Well, Gee, I don't I don't think it's something you can really practice. Like, uh, usually you tackling like that, you practicing off tackle bags or something yeah. in training. But I don't think it's something you can really... You might get away in training because obviously, you know, training games might be refereed obviously by the coach or whatever, and he's going to be a bit more lenient. But like as I said, I don't think it's something like I think Dahi Burke just timed it pretty much nearly perfect, I think. Um, but again, if he was a, a second early or second late there, he was he was busted and, and Galway were in trouble. So um yeah, no, I don't think it's something I think it's something that's naturally happened or you just have to have a good timing of it really as, as a defender or even if it's a forward in the back. Because we were saying at the weekend, um, Owen was at the game and wasn't sure exactly in the stadium whether or not the red was justified. On TV, when they slowed it down from a different angle, you can see that, uh, well, it, it probably did deserve a red card. I think the referee made the decision 
or certainly had confidence in making the decision because there was blood drawn. And if you go back to your, you both ended up being blood subbed. Is that right? Both yourself and Canning ended up getting blood substitutions. Um, that's right. Yeah, I think I definitely went off the blood sub anyway. I split my head, but yeah, it's just the, the, the football game the weekend. Like it'll be, it's been interesting. If there was no blood, would there be no card? You know, that's the thing. Would the, did the referee work off the? Was my first reaction to George Bannis when he seen the blood and the Galway player jogging off to be treated, you know, maybe that made his decision up for him, I don't know, but I think he was justified then when the, when the camera slowed down the tackle, but again, you know, if he was, you know, he'd probably take a couple of seconds to wear the Armagh player, if he was a couple of seconds later, it could have been a perfect shoulder to shoulder, you know, so yeah. um, again. And did you guys clash heads? Is that where the blood came from? Well, something his head, I'd say his shoulder went into his head, was it? I don't know, I'm not too right. sure now, but, but again, then like, um, you know, when you see blood in the head area, well, obviously, t- you know, you're not supposed to be tackling someone's head, obviously. So he was hitting the head and he shouldn't have been. So I think the referee was justified with his card. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. It, I, I, it's very, because it, it's so high risk at this stage where the referee's making a split decision and the crowd are absolutely baying, in this case, metaphorically and literally for blood. So, um, look, Paulie, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Enjoy the games at the weekend. Who's, who are you calling in the Clerical Kenny game? Jesus, I tell you, if you were giving me a 20 over bet now, Jar, I'd, I'd, I'd be picking a draw on Saturday's game and I'd, I'd go for Limerick by seven to nine point win on Sunday. And who wins the penalty shootout then? <laughs> oh God, can we go to replay now? <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, and I don't agree with that anyway. Right, Jeez. well we leave you on the fence for that one then, Paddy. Good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. Cheers, lads. Thanks. That's uh, Paulie Mar. There. A reminder this week on Garda Siakana with ambassadors from all around Ireland have launched the hashtag Slowdown campaign. This Garda initiative is to encourage all motorists to slow down on our roads. Follow the hashtag Slowdown across on Garda Siakana's social channels to help support the campaign. Nine fifteen, uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Golf Weekly is heading to Clean Castle next Tuesday. That's the fifth of July. A brilliant day lined up with a Peter Laurie Clinic live podcast recording, food prizes, and of course. A round of golf at the Jack Nicholas Design Colleen Castle. Golf Weekly Golf Days are exclusive events for friends of the pod. So what are you waiting for? Get on board. Sign up now at otbsports.com forward slash golf weekly. Here's on uh, our schedule for OTB Sports Radio today. OTB Gold at one o'clock is Jack McCaffrey. Leaders questions with Stuart Lancaster at three. Our retro panel is GA Democracy at four o'clock. OTB Gold is Nigel Mansell. And then Thursday night, live as ever with Nathan. You can follow off the ball across all our social channels. Up next, we're live in studio with former Dundalk manager Vinnie Perth for an Irish football transfer special. OTB AM. Right, it's 18 minutes past nine. I'm delighted to say Vinnie Perth is with us in studio. Vinnie, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, all good. We get a lot of speculation at this time of year. It's, um, you know, for those of us who enjoy a bit of gossip around transfers, this is a good time of year. Um, and we figured we'd figure we'd focus on the Irish players and those who need a move versus those who don't need a move. So you've been looking at this for us. Who who's on your list for players who do need a move? Um, I suppose like the obvious ones are Jason Knight for me. Um, I think um, Derby being relegated and, and doing so well and playing so many games. I think that's an important one, and it's also how important he is for us for our side. I think it's it's huge that. Uh, he gets a bit of clarity. My concern around Jason has been we've not seen lots of rumours around him. 
so far. Yeah. Uh, but that can often he could have something sorted out for argument's sake. But it's been fairly quiet around him, so he certainly needs a move. Dar- Derby looks a bit of a mess. So for me, that's a really, really important one for us, and, and because he's so important to the team. Yeah, like he is essentially a starter at this point. Yeah, I think he's played himself into it. We we have seen inconsistencies with him. Um, with so many very young players I think the last window was a massive les- lesson for us all in terms of uh, we've seen the inconsistencies in the squad and I think that comes with so many young players yeah. coming through Yeah. so would a season in League One be very beneficial if he played every single minute or has he gone past that stage now he needs to be championship minimum I'd like to think he, he needs to be championship minimum I think um, I think it's very very difficult like the problem is the club he's at um, when when you look at people coming through say Wigan last year who got promoted you're, you're not sure Derby's a big club but you're not sure that club are going to be chasing promotion Yeah. and sometimes when you're around a mess of a club every your form ultimately gets affected so for me I think it's like it's it's probably crucial for his career that he gets out there in the next couple of months and I think um, it's so again keep, keep I can't emphasise enough how important he is to that, that Irish team and how we play We've talked a lot about that number 10 role and, and is he the player you're kind of earmarking for that into the future or even kind of like... Uh, it's, it's, I was listening earlier on to Owen talks about, I don't know whether it's a new word, but the depth chart. Um, must bring that one into football. It's been a good... Oh, like, the rugby. We've, yeah. we've been doing it for rugby for ages. Yeah, right? so... Uh, football manager have it. Oh, so well, maybe, yeah. Pinnacle. Maybe I need to start playing football manager. Yeah. So, uh, But when you think of that position, we've got him. We've got <laughs> That's James. the most withering thing anybody's ever said in this show. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Should have <laughs> <still> game. <laughs> so I heard, so I heard. I think Owen was a little uh, bit addicted to it for a while. Right, so... But when we think of that position, right, we've got Jason O'Hu, who's made a huge impact. We get that. We have Jamie McGrath, who's sensational away in Portugal, yeah. I would say. Um, and again, his club form didn't help him in the last window. And then beyond that, we're probably going to Conor Hurahan in that type of position if we're going to play that way. Um, so we re- really are struggling. We haven't really... I've cried for Alan Brown on this show. I think he's someone that yeah. has, has done it at a decent level in the championship. But we're, we probably struggle in that position. So this is this is probably the problem of where we are with Irish football. We need some of these young players to come through. And so minutes, minutes for a night next season in the championship Absolutely. at a club who play a decent style of football. Do you have anybody in mind where you think he'd be good? Or is there well, no, you look at clubs like someone like Middlesbrough who've done some decent business and some Irish players, you could see them, they're going to, they, it looks like they're going to chase promotion to a point not recklessly but yeah. it looks like they're doing it in a sort of good way uh, being in and around Middlesbrough you can um, in terms of the club as part of the pro licence brilliant club and you would say if if you were looking at now somewhere like Middlesbrough okay. would be really really good and, and probably suit his style OK so next on the list Will Smallbone Yeah I think um, that's an interesting one because he, he sort of hasn't made a senior debut yet uh, but I don't think he has now but when I watch the 21s, uh, I've been to a lot of their games recently um, and in this campaign. He looks one that's probably above the level of, of everyone else in the squad. And I know his goals, people will say, well, his goals, that's an obvious thing to say. But it's more than that. He's come back from a really serious knee injury. Um, and he's got in back in and around that Southampton squad. But I see they're willing to let him go on loan, which is, people would see that maybe, is that a negative? No, I think it's part of his progression because he's under contract till he's, till 2024. So I think that's one where he, he, he looks a cut above everything else that's coming through at the moment. And we all know these 
young players can come late and different things but he looks like one that particularly I would say we sort of struggling in midfield again going back to our depth charts where's our, our 6, 8 and 10s and he looks like definitely one that we could do in a move to the championship where does he play? well um, he's played in the Irish team he's played narrow off the, for the 21s he's played narrow off the road but he's he, by and large that sort of n- number 8 he'd be very right. similar in style I would say to Jason Malumbi he would have a lot of similar attributes the okay. two of them would be very similar ok so we, we really need um, him to get some game time to see if he can yeah get into the senior squad and then start pushing for a place yeah and, and again it's like um, I, I think this Irish squad has a lot of strength and depth but only in certain areas I think when you when you look at where we struggle I think if something happened to uh, Josh Cullen for argument's sake where's our natural number six yeah. I don't see it and I think his levels have to go up if if you look at our fullback positions yes we've got Matt Doherty yes we've got Seamus Coleman but like when you look at the left, our probably first choice is a battle at the moment between James McLean and Ender Stevens, and then you're going into say someone like Joe Bagan again, another one that is interesting. We sort of tend to uh, the Premiership, Premiership Irish people like, but he's played over twenty games for Cardiff in the Championship. Again, just a young left back coming through. So. You know, we're, we're heading in the right direction, but we need the key is these moves this summer for a lot of these players. Yeah. small bones and, yeah. and so many of them. Next is Troy Parrott. Yeah, this is an interesting one because um, Troy Parrott was the saviour of Irish football not that long ago. You know, we really spoke highly of him, and and I don't think his form has, has necessarily went off the charts. He just went to when you go down to the level of League One, it's really difficult. It's it's. Um, for want of better words, proper man's football, you've got to be ready. And it, it took time, but when you look at Troy, you see somebody who looks like he's aged a couple of years in the last six months in his interviews, in his um, in, in his training regime. He's on holidays at the moment, and I believe on social media, he put tra- videos of him training on the beach, where yeah. we have seen videos of him being in Dubai and, and having probably, a party yeah, yeah. and, and I, I mean they're small things people need to enjoy themselves but at the same time there's a mindset from, from Troy there so when you look at when you look at the club he's at Son and Kane are 30-31 is he the next one for Spurs that they, they're going to develop we don't know or but I think a long move and again away from League 1 in a championship club where he's really tested and we find out about him and we find out is he ready is he ready to make next to make our time are Tottenham like too big at this moment? Like last season, almost would have felt like the perfect time because you would have had uh, not Champions League football. You would have had was it was a Conference yeah. League and uh, was it Europa? I can't remember. Yeah, uh, that, like I mean, playing at a level that's not Champions League. So between Premier League, Champions League, he may get like first weekend of January in the FA Cup, maybe a few EFL Cup games. Is that going to be enough really for for someone at twenty years of age? Yeah, like sometimes we we we. We're guilty of saying, and it's it's a big thing in football where they say, got to go along, got to play, got to play. Sometimes it's great to be around the highest level of, of world football, which spores the premiership is. But I think when you look at the clubs that are seem to be interested in Swansea, Middlesbrough, uh, Preston, QPR, they're sort of middle to high end championship clubs. If you went to something like that, that far... Is, that's far exceeds uh, sitting on a bench for Spurs absolutely or, or battling to get into the squad he's done that already as well yeah. for a period of time at, at yeah. Tottenham like I mean is um, maybe not like maybe you go back and maybe a full season playing with Harry Kane in training is something that actually brings you on but like yeah, what's the story I've not already yeah. completed that how beneficial is that like, oh, it's huge it's absolutely huge but there's, there's like a sweet spot where you can stay too long right 
So, like, again, we, we, we look at someone like Kevin Kelleher, and for me, playing, being around that Liverpool squad, I wouldn't be in a rush. If I, if, if I was advising Kevin, I wouldn't be in a rush to go and loan. But where everyone else is, you're, you're, you're operating at the highest level in world football. I mean, you go down to League One, well, let, League let, Two, let me, Championship, it's so difficult. One of, the, one of the whispers that we heard about Kevin Keller was that one of the Dutch Premier League, or the Dutch Eredivisie teams who have qualified for the Champions League might be interested in taking him. Um, or, you know, it's certainly been floated as a, if this was something, if, if he was to go to somewhere like that where there was Champions League football, would that be better than going to the championship is that where you suddenly go ooh now I'm interested um, Erdogan VC football and champ- and championship there's not a lot in the difference um, you could probably see how that Saturday Wednesday Saturday Wednesday in the championship might suit a young player right um, now his style is very much suited to Erdogan VC and um, he, he's so calm on the ball and his distribution is sensational but look they're, they're really difficult judgement calls there's there's like People just think you need to play, you need to play, you need to play, and I get that. Um, but it's it's been in around some of the best manager in the world, best goalkeeper in the world, every single day. So he now, should stay. For me, he stays yeah. at Liverpool. Like, could you imagine, um, Alison? I don't, I don't actually uh, course the player, but imagine Alison got an injury. Well, yeah, right? he has done for yeah. yeah, right, and and something six, eight, ten weeks. Imagine sitting. In Cardiff or Middlesbrough, while someone else is taking a spot there in Champions League football, and he's played in some of the biggest games in football in in terms of big finals, Champions League games. Imagine somebody sitting there now. It, it's a judgment call. He's only young. He's as a, as a goalkeeper terms. Well, he's got another twenty years if he wants it. Yeah, at, le- at least ten to fifteen at the yeah. highest level. Yeah. So I think the patience there is the key. And um, with young players, that can be difficult. I get it, but. I wouldn't be in a rush if, if it was Kevin Kelleher. Okay. Um, Jeff Hendrick and Nathan Collins are the last two on the list of players that should move. Um, Hendrick just needs to play games, right? He's at that stage of his career yeah, now. Yeah, because when we look at our midfield at the moment, and people have been critical of Jeff and his performance at different stages, and in some cases rightly so, or they're not so because of, I think he he was a little bit exposed in, in terms of the shape of our midfield. But he's people like Jeff uh, Brown... Alan Brown and Conor Huron are so important to this young squad. And I, th- I don't think y- you can uh, emphasise that enough, how that we need these experienced players still in and around our squad over the next two to, to maybe four years. And I think um, Newcastle, he's not going to be at Newcastle. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But he went to QPR and didn't play. He yeah. played maybe 10 games. And for someone of his quality, I think the next choice he gets and what we've got to do as a, as a football sort of public is accept if our players are playing the championship that is good enough level yeah. for where we're currently at so huge window for Jeff Hendrick and as part of the bigger overall or squad because we don't have strength and depth in that midfield and with, with Collins the list of clubs who are interested um it's phenomenal. So, what what do you do? Oh, I'm, I'm this one. I'm on the fence. In like you put Nathan Collins in, as in needs a move because you know is that train passing now and it's time to jump? Really difficult one. Or are Burnley looking at this saying unless we get close to thirty million for this kid, what's the point at selling him? We paid fifteen for him. We've got to make good money on him, or else use him to get back into the Premiership. And um, people. You know, Burnley have signed a couple of players, and people are presuming, oh well, 
they've, they've signed the centre half that must be because they're letting Nathan Collins go I don't think that's necessarily the case because they've lost Ben Mee and Tarkovsky so yeah. it looks like would Nathan Collins benefit from playing week in week out in the championship being the real leader for that that squad being sort of not, I'm not going to say captain I don't know who else they'll keep but I mean the main centre half of a team at that level N- or the Newcastle yeah. and Vincent Company as well yeah and, and they're all such difficult judgement calls that means I like I don't know the right answer to it my advice would be depending on the club right so if, if you're going to play week in week out in the Premier League go but if you're going to be a squad player who plays whatever cup matches don't go but by and large like Guys, how many Premiership clubs just have two centre halves? Every time you're going to you're going to a Premiership club, you're going and you're battling for your place. Yeah, they have six, most of them. Most, yeah. you know, maybe some like Burnley have stuck with two, but that's yeah. more down to Sean Dice's management and and things. If he was signing for Leicester, I I just see that as a dream move for him. Yeah. I think you could see him playing there. You could see, all right, they've got Fofana. They're going to sell brilliant, him. but. They're, they're going to they're, cash in for Fana as soon as he plays 10 games in a row. Exactly. They're, they're looking at the, probably the next window, the Christmas window. He plays, he's gone for 60, 70 million, you yeah. would imagine. Yeah. So, and, perfect. And that's better than going straight to one of the super clubs where you're never going to play and you can end up like Nathan Aki. But I've heard talk of um, our Manchester United interest in him. Like, I don't know whether we've got green tinted glasses here. We, like, as much as being brilliant from with Irish lenses, are people looking at him going, yeah, he like he's going to replace Harry Maguire. I don't think so. Yeah, I think he's got another step yeah. to make, and and that could be at Burnley getting promoted, or it could be as we said a Leicester, or a, a, a Brighton for argument's sake. Okay, so we've already said you think Keller should stay. Some players should stay at the clubs that there's been speculation around. The two lads at, at Norwich in particular, um, Adamita coming back off injury, Andrew Delhi coming back off injury as well. A season playing week in week out, Touchwood where the injuries. Yeah. off for them and again I'm sort of I know I'm potentially repeating myself or I must be but just because they've fallen into the championship that's why I leave them in like they could benefit so much by this week in week out football both of them um, both of them have the potential to be real stars um, I won't I, I made the mistake of, of talking about Andrew and Omar Bamadeli and Rio Ferdinand and um, I won't make that mistake again but He's such a good, good I don't think player. it was a mistake. We, no, should, we should all dream high. As a, yeah, well, absolutely. But saying it out loud is different. Look, what I mean is, I think I think the world of that, that player. Yeah. I think, um, but obviously with his injuries now, the, the, this is really good. Norwich have, you know, in English football terms, really stable, well-run club. They're either a championship or a premiership club, by and large, and it's brilliant opportunity for them just to play week in, week out. Good manager who's got a team out of that division who knows what it takes to keep the t- team up as well. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. And we were starting to see the best of Adam uh, either in terms of just before his injury. It was like he'd learned the game. It was like he was he was starting to grow into his role. So I think I think potentially the two of them have have a real big season ahead of them. Um, getting to that 30, 35 games would be huge for them so potentially that's excellent and Michael Obafemi he's he's in the right place for that yeah and and someone like Michael um, and, and it's the same with a lot of young players but you could tell he's found a home when you listen to the manager speak about him it's it's very much 
uh, they're in sync. Yeah, but that's after a period. Of, no, it's after a period of tough love at the start where they were like, "This guy's not fit enough." Yeah, and then they got him. But fit he and started scoring goals. He wasn't fit enough, and he responded to that. So that's the yeah. best part because you've seen other players who've been told they're not fit, they're not putting it in, and they huff. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, that's, that's that's your fault, not mine." It's like that's not going to work. No, but it, come it, through that. It, by and large, like we we have the superstars who come through no matter what. Right, but by and large, most young players go through a phase where they're challenged in in all sports. To yeah. be fair, and I think um, with these guys, same with Troy Parker, the penny drops. I think it's um, and and even going back to Smallbone, maybe that injury was just what you need sometimes. A young player just time out a game to go right, reassess what do I have to do. I think the way Obafemi finished the season and the way he, he was a real bright spark in the Irish squad. Um, you could see I wouldn't say he's difficult to manage but you could see that at times you would have to like yeah. and I think I actually think Stephen is, the, is a great yeah. manager from because he embraces these type of characters we've had them uh, at different levels of course but whether it's been the Richie Tells of the world or, or all, and all the way through as 21s whether it's been Aaron Connolly Troy Parrott good experience with these people and sometimes with the they're almost free spirits you've got to give them yeah. create an environment for them to be superstars and um, we, we have a real chance with some of these young players Alright uh, you've given us a projected uh, team here which has an average age of 21.2 which yes. is fairly sensational right so right. so we're not saying this team is going to take no, the field No and it, it nor could. should it or it could but if this team started and everyone in terms of ended up where would we where would, what would we worried about we'd worry about Jason Knight getting a move okay and um, I'm just going to name it out for our radio listeners yeah. so it's Bazuno and goals you've got Owen Bamadeli at right back Collins and O'Shea at centre back and Joel Bagan am I pronouncing that right yes yeah so uh, he, he's the guy Cardiff you said the left back yeah. he's 20 O'Shea's 23 Collins is 21 Owen Bamadeli's 20 Bazuno's 20 you've got Josh Cullen in his normal role you've got Malumbi and Knight alongside him Malumbi's 22 Knight's 21 up front uh, Obafemi 21 Adam Eda 21 Troy Parrott 20 Like if, if Ireland na- announced that team without the age brackets behind it there wouldn't be a big uproar what are we doing like and so now I, you'd prefer that team with a lot of a bit of experience in it but it just shows you that um, again we, we Hopefully we're not going to get into the debate around whether Stevens right manager, but it shows you. And a lot of them players have met, have have caps under their, the amount of heavy lifting that's been done in Irish football yeah. with our young players over the last two years is is close to on the brink of something special. Where, where what's my concern is how many of them are going to go to the next stage. Yeah, we just don't know, and the club is is crucial to that. And also, we're probably missing like a, a Wales had. You know, some European Championships World Cup, a Garrett Bale, a Robbie Keane. We're probably one little star away and somebody coming from somewhere. But potentially, um, we've got a squad. If by hook or by crook, we got into the uh, Euros next. Imagine these young players. The average age, 21.2. If my maths is right, may, I may be off a little bit here and there. But imagine if we got to a European Championships in, in, in this campaign. We've got potentially eight years, and don't forget we've got like more players coming. More through. players coming through. Young Evan Ferguson's in the squad every week since Christmas. Yeah, at Brighton hasn't played or just about played, uh, but we've got players like that. Uh, Connor Coventry, Smallbones, not in that list. Who's in and around the, the Southampton squad? We're we're very close to to something really special, and yeah. I think that's why the last window taught me a big lesson. I was on commentary after the Armenia game. And I was really critical. And a lot of my friends was like came to me after going, 
you know, you've 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 went heavy on Stephen, like who again is a good friend, and I was like, right, okay, but I think it was deserved. But actually, what the window taught us is we've got to be patient with. We've got young players who are coming up and down and up and down. We've got to find a consistency. Success is lumpy. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, That was interesting. Uh, That team would be good. And that's why this window is hugely important for some of those players, just to get a move if they're going to be available to us and useful to us and to see exactly where their future is going to be. And we're relying again on English football, by and large, to do a big chunk, because we can't do anything about it. or light years away from being able to but we need English football and championship football to help us out here because we're, we're right in the brink of something yeah. special Vinny, good stuff thanks for joining us in the studio today right OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today tomorrow Johnny Ward joins Owen in studio Ron Nogara is live ahead of the first test we'll have a hurling preview special on the GA quick picks and of course the crappy quiz will be live OTBAM with Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.